We're here live at the NFL Combine for Big Blue Kickoff Live. Day two, John Schmelk, Paul Dettino, and our leadoff hitter on day two is our number one draft expert, friend of the program, that's Dane Brugler, at DP Brugler on Twitter. You can find his work at The Athletic. You can go and subscribe at theathletic.com. We have live shows two hours every day, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Dane, it's good to have you. How are you? Combine doesn't start until I get to meet with you guys and uh, talk about these prospects, so uh, happy to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's start with the measurements. Last couple of days yeah. we've seen some quarterbacks, offensive linemen, running backs as well. Anything jump out at you? We have to start with Kyler Murray, don't we? Uh, coming in at 5'10 and an eighth, uh, which is a big win. 5'10 looks a lot better on paper than 5'9, uh, <laughs> you know, as arbitrary as that sounds. Uh and then coming out of 207, that's the bigger number. Uh, I think, you know, we're expecting playing weight more in the 190 range, but he gets up to 207. Not going to work out here. So, you know, you do wonder what his playing weight is realistically. Probably more in the 190, 195 area, but still 510, 207 looks great on paper. We talked uh, before the show started how you said you could understand why he's conducting himself the way he is because of an agent mm -hmm. telling him that, but at the same time, you know these clubs are bummed out about it. Sure, no no, no question. It's, it makes a pro day that much more important, and this is a player who decided, what, two weeks ago he's going to play football? You know, so you wonder how much has he been throwing? How much, ha you know, in, in terms of just being loose and feeling comfortable in this type of setting? It's disappointing, um, you know, especially when you get a chance to, I know some people will just kind of say, well, you're throwing against air, you're, you're wearing shorts, you know, but when you're one after the other after the other, it's a great opportunity for evaluators just to see how the ball comes off your hand. Uh, just, you know, your, your your mobility, your movement, and the different drills they have here. Uh, you know, it's disappointing that he won't be throwing like a Dwayne Haskins, like Locke, like Daniel Jones. Uh, but it just puts more pressure on his pro day. And, mm -hmm. You know, I understand why some choose not to throw here, but it does put more pressure on the pro day because you basically have one shot. If you go to your pro day and it's not what you wanted to do, if maybe you're not feeling 100% that day, well, you put your all, all your eggs in that one basket. And, you know, that that's if you don't perform up to what you hope to do, then that's on you. Will that be at an indoor facility? It will be. It uh, will be. Well, I've been to Oklahoma's pro day the last few years, and – uh, maybe it's a, if it's a nice day, maybe they go outside, but they have a nice indoor facility. Okay. They, in the past, they've done pro days inside. So that would not be a factor? It, it should not, no. Weather should not be a factor. This is usually at this early juncture a very difficult question, but for this draft, maybe it's not. If you had to predict the first five guys off the board mm -hmm. before the Giants go with six, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Yeah. But who are your five that you think the Giants will not have the ability to take? Well, I don't think they'll have a chance at the two top quarterbacks, uh, Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. Uh, and history tells us that. You know, I've, we don't have those, you know, the, the team's picking the top five. None of them scream, hey, we need a quarterback. You know, maybe the Cardinals at one, maybe they do take Kyler Murray, but hey, Oakland, you never know, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Despite what you know, make Mike Mayock said that Derek Carr is a franchise guy, but you know, this is the time of year where it's a lot of talk. It's lying season. You know, who knows? Um, but I think that both quarterbacks go in the top five. We're going to see some trades. Uh, the last three years, there's been eleven quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Ten of those quarterbacks were taken uh, by teams who traded up for those picks. So go. we're going to see some movement here in the top five. Uh, whether it, it, the Jaguars at seven, uh, you know, the Miami at thirteen, the Redskins at fifteen. If I want a quarterback in this draft, I'm not sitting at thirteen or fifteen and waiting for Drew Locke or uh, Daniel Jones. I'm going up to get the best quarterback, and in my opinion, that's Dan, uh, it's uh, Dwayne Haskins. Kyler Murray's going to have his. Uh, there's going to be some teams that are in on uh, uh, Kyler Murray, but he has a realistic chance to go number one. So besides those two quarterbacks, who yeah. are the other three prospects you think that go? I, I think you know the. the 
top three players, you're probably looking at Nick Bosa. As long as the medicals go okay this week, mm-hmm. that's a, a big step for him. Quinn and Williams from Alabama. I think Bosa and Williams are the two best players in this draft, and I think there's a little bit of a drop-off after that. Mm-hmm. And if I had to choose a fifth guy, it'd probably be Josh Allen from Kentucky, Got who it. he plays the right position. That sounds uh, right. Big jump this year in terms of production, in terms of his ability. He added about 20 pounds. Uh, he expanded his pass rush uh, repertoire with his moves and different ways he can be blockers. So I think Josh Allen's put himself – I mean, if he came out last year as a junior, he was looking at maybe a borderline top 100 guy. Came back for his senior year, got bigger, got stronger, got better. And, you know, he put himself in position to be a top-five pick. I don't know uh, where the scout was ranking his quarterbacks, but I talked to a scout the other day who said to me, top three guys, like what you just said, Mm -hmm. and then from four to 15, there's a fraction of a difference. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't include the quarterbacks because we all know they get overdrafted anyway. Do you agree with that assessment, or does it go deeper or shorter than that? Honestly, I, I like Josh Allen a lot. I think it's Bosa, Williams, and then I think that's where there's a drop-off, and then there's a, just a, a clump of guys that you like a lot. Uh, but, you know, like this draft doesn't have 10 true top 10 p- picks, you know, and most drafts don't. And so there's going to be some players that maybe get picked a little bit earlier, like a Devin White from uh, LSU, the linebacker. Really talented, but... I mean, I thought Roquan Smith was a better prospect. He went, what, seven last year? He might get pushed, uh, you know, the Bucks at five or, you know, one of these teams in the top ten. Uh, TJ Hawkinson from Iowa, who mm-hmm. probably the first skill player drafted this year over a wide receiver, over a running back. He could be in that top ten mix. We're going to see a, a slew of these pass rushers come off the board from Cleveland Farrell from Clemson, uh, Jachai Polite from Florida, uh, Montez Sweat. So, you know, we're going to see a lot of pass rushers, a lot of defensive linemen, uh, Ed Oliver, Christian Wilkins, the interior guys. Uh, it's really going to be interesting to see uh, how this top 10, top 12 shakes out. Because, again, after Bosa, after Williams, I, I think that that's where we have a mix of these guys where different teams are going to have different opinions. How far down? You know, I think it's top 12, top 15. I mean, I think basically what you said, that, that makes sense. I think that's right. Differentiate for me the pass rushers after you get past Bosa and Allen. Clelin Farrell, uh, Ja'Kai Polite, Brian Burns, mm-hmm. uh, Montez Sweat. What separates these guys, or is this really what are you looking for, eye of the beholder, type of player you want? Right. I think what, what you value with the position, a guy like Jachai Polite, he, he's a quarterback assassin because of that that first move. I like that quarterback he, assassin. It's what he is. He's <laughs> That first step that he has is outstanding. The speed. Uh, he was a basically a nickel rusher at Florida. He didn't play a lot of early downs. No, he didn't. And, but this is a player who he played three technique his, as a freshman. So, you know, I think he can put on the size. At his build, he played three technique? He, really? he, was, he was up to about 270 as a freshman. Wow. And then he lost some weight, uh, and he, he was about 245-ish this past year. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't have, you know, if you're looking for a three-down player, they're going to have some questions there in terms of can he hold up against the run, but that first step quickness, his ability to bend, uh, flatten to the quarterback, it's all there athletically. He should test really well here. Uh, Brian Burns should as well. I have some questions about him holding up the point of attack. Mm-hmm. Really lean guy. Uh, we'll see what he what, what he comes in uh, measurement-wise uh, in terms of the weight. You know, Is he above 240, close to 250? If he can get close to 250, that would be a big win for him. Once blockers are able to latch on, they can control him. And so point of attack, uh, that, that's where Brian Burns really needs to improve. Cleveland Farrell, good first step, but it's the second and third steps that you worry about. He's not the most athletically gifted pass rusher. He's got good hands, though, man. Very good hands. And very productive. It, it, absolutely. Technically sound. He understands how to use his hands. Very active, and he has an understanding of what he's doing to break down the rhythm of blockers. We saw in the national title game against Jonah Williams, mm-hmm. he understood exactly how to attack Jonah Williams, and uh, that 
that, that was a big win for him. If, if you're looking for a reason why to draft Cleveland Farrell, just throw in the national title game, and that'll tell you exactly everything you need about uh, Cleveland Farrell. Let's go to the offensive tackles for a minute because there are some people who are just so – disgusted with the fact that there are two-point stances in college. Sure. And, Jesus, the only time we get to see three-point stances is at the Senior Bowl. <laughs> yeah. So, so how much does it hurt some of these guys? Dave Gettleman was telling us yesterday that some of them you can tell about their athleticism, and we know they can project anyway, right. regardless, and they'd still be a top-ten pick. Right. And, you know, it's and it's not just offensive linemen. You talk about corners who aren't asked to press, aren't asked to pedal, or, you know, all, all these positions at the college level. They're all playing zone in college. Exactly. Yeah. There's some type of projection that you have to make. And that's why the combine's important, to see how they move, to see, uh, you know, th- there's a pedal drill for these corners, for the offensive linemen to see how, you know, their mirror drills uh, when they're forced to put their hand on the ground. How do they do? So, yeah, you know, it, it, like anything, it's a projection, but I think that, you know, it's – Part of its muscle memory uh, and something that you can work on and see at the pro day here at the combine, individual workouts, uh, private workouts. So you know, I, I think you can tell if a guy is athletically gifted, and you hope that uh, you know the rest works itself out. And this is if you need an offensive tackle in this draft, it's not a bad draft to need one in the first round. That we're going to see plenty of these offensive linemen go off the board. We mentioned Jonah Williams; he came in with over 30, 30 and a half inch arms. That's a big win for him. Um, you know, I. I 34 is really where you want to be for an offensive tackle in terms of arm length, but 33 over 30, 30, uh, 33 and a half, I'll take that. Uh, Cody Ford from Oklahoma, I really like him. He's a big boy, man. Big Ooh. boy, mm-hmm. and he moves really well. I mean, he, he's a grizzly bear in pads, and if do you play guard, do you play tackle? One scout put it to me. He's a B plus tackle in the league, or he's an A minus guard. So where do you want to play him? I think he gives you some versatility with what you want to do. Jawan Taylor from Florida, some tackles or some scouts. He's the best tackle in this draft. Uh, Greg Little's up there. So uh, if you need a tackle, this is not a bad year to need one. Taylor, of course, is injured and is not going to work out here. Right. And Little, boy, we've talked to some people, John. People have there. He's all over the place. On uh, it's why? Yeah. Why is it so wide on him? It's funny because watching him the first half of the year, uh, you know, I think in October I watched his tape from September, and I was really impressed. Uh, he moves really well. He's got a relaxed punch. Reminded me a lot of Ronnie Stanley when he's coming out of Notre Dame, top ten pick to the yeah. mm-hmm. to the Ravens. Um, and then later when I after the season, so I put Greg Little as a top fifteen pick. And then when I after the season, when I watched the second half, that's where I saw. Ooh, I, I don't know. And you know, the Mississippi State game. Just I can't get that out of my mind. He he really struggled in that game, the Egg Bowl. So just an up and down performer. And so if you get him to play consistently, because he has the feet, uh, I think he has the hands. Uh, if you get him to play with a little more aggression and a little more consistency, you have yourself a, a long term starting left tackle. But those are two big ifs there that you have to kind of figure out if you want to roll the dice in the top fifteen on a player like that. Simply from a value perspective, Dane, make the case for me why the Giants shouldn't take, at six, either a quarterback, a pass rusher, or an offensive tackle. Can you make that case, or do you think that's what you're looking at? I mean, I think that's what you're looking at. And, look, I I thought they should have taken a quarterback last year. And, you know, it's hard to argue with Saquon Barkley, that, that <laughs> pick, and what he did. And, you know, I, I'd love to have him on my team. But, you know, you have to get the quarterback position figured out. Uh, you know, how many – how many wins did Saquon Barkley get you last year compared to if you had a different running back? You know, there, there, there's a big discussion there about value, and when you factor in a quarterback and how much he means, uh, you know, if I'm the Giants, I'm going to get a quarterback this year. Can you make the argument for a linebacker or a corner again, just from a value and a player being the best player in the draft? Are anybody at those two spots worth going top ten in your mind, or no? 
Not in my opinion. Okay. And going back to, I remember sitting here with you guys talking about what, what were the Giants going to do at two last year, yeah. and hearing Gettleman talk about how, oh, with the second pick, I want a future Hall of Famer. I want a guy who's going to wear the gold jacket one day. And so with the sixth pick, not too far off the second pick. I, you know, I don't see a linebacker in this draft. I like Devin White from LSU a lot, um, but. I don't think he's a, a top six pick in this draft. I like some of these corners. I think it's a deep cornerback group. I feel good about the guys you can get later in the first and the second, but in the top ten, not so much. So if you're picking six, and I'm talking about the premium positions, quarterback, pass rusher, sure. and we didn't mention Rashawn Gary either, who this mm-hmm. is good. they're going to rename the combine after Rashawn Gary after he's done with it. It's going to be <laughs> he's going to put on a show. Uh, he's going to be about 280 pounds, and he's going to run, you know, in the four sixes. He's going to his three cones going to be under six nine, just ridiculous numbers. So Rashawn Gary, the production, the hype wasn't, or the production didn't match the hype at Michigan, but the traits. That's what NFL teams draft, and he definitely has the traits, and I'll show that here. Do you think he's more of a five technique, or do you think he's going to be a four three, or, or, or are you going to move him inside he, to the three on passing downs, baby? You can, I think you can do whatever you want with him because he's, he's that good. Yeah, he's that type okay. of talent. I, I, his pass rush plan needs improved. Needs to understand some of the more you know the fine tune the technical aspects of his game. But just talking about his traits, uh, the length, the speed, the quickness. Five. It's ridiculous. He moves. It's silly for a guy like that. So yeah. he can play in space. He can move him inside. Um, I, I don't think you are restricted with a player like that. Let me go back to the quarterbacks for a second. Dane Dane Brugler joining us uh, once again on the show from the Athletic. Uh, you had said you think the top two quarterbacks, Haskins and Murray, will go in the top six before the Giants, right? Right. Okay. Where would you have put these guys in your class based on last year's quarterbacks class? Because value and where guys project to go because all quarterbacks get overdrafted sure. are totally different things. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I really liked the top three last year with Mayfield, Darnold, Rosen. Um, I think Haskins and Murray would be four and five for me if we're just comparing the last two classes. Um, and, you know, it's hard to just totally eliminate what we saw this year as rookies from these guys. And, you know, just but, but just going off draft grades and what I thought at last year's class, uh, I, I think I would go, you know, Mayfield, Darnold. Right? I had Darnold and then Mayfield and Rosen last year. That was my top three grades uh, at the quarterbacks. And then I think I'd go Haskins and Murray. Um, and there's a lot to like about Haskins and Murray, I've got questions about both of them, but I think both can be long-term starters in this league and help you win football games. And with Haskins, uh, he's got a special arm, uh, not just velocity, but uh, just accuracy. He understands where to put the football. Needs to get better with the lower body mechanics, uh, handling pressure. But I think for a, a guy that's so young and experience-wise, he got better throughout the year. He the did. final three games are really impressive. Uh, you know, Yes, some of the Purdue game you could put on, and that, that scares you. Some mm-hmm. of the Penn State game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, again, you watch the last three games. You saw improvement. Uh, and, actually, I posted something on The Athletic today. Uh, went kind of deeper into the stats and looked at a guy like uh, – looked at all these quarterbacks here and how they did versus pressure. And Dwayne Haskins was top three in terms of completion percentage, in terms of uh, passer really? rating. That so, surprises yeah, me. He, he got huh. better as the season went on, and it shows in the raw stats. One more quickie on Kyler Murray. When you take a look at him, is it the refinement of a passer that that worries you getting past that first read? Because watching him, he had such good protection, right? Absolutely. He, he rarely faced pressure. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't remember how many times I saw him just sit back there and yep. look and look and look. But other times, after that first predetermined throw wasn't there, he'd get the heck out of there yeah. and not do that. I just didn't see that many of those like five steps or three step look 
second option, go, intermediate pass in traffic over the middle, which is kind of what you have to do in the NFL, right? right? And that's the type of stuff that I think NFL evaluators have to figure out. Is that just because of how they use him in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. or is it because he can't see it over the middle, or, or, or why he's not doing it? Yeah, he... You're absolutely right. I mean, watching his tape, there were times where, forget two or three seconds, he had five, six, oh. seven seconds to throw the football. Yeah. Yeah. He's just sitting back there waiting for somebody to get open. And I was surprised at how he has pocket instincts. Like, he's looking downfield while he's also feeling the rush. But the Big 12, I don't think it challenged him. You know, and like that's why a big reason why I thought Alabama, uh, besides the Oklahoma defense, just not, you know, just letting that team down. But I thought that's why Alabama, you know, just rolled through him in the Orange Bowl is the Big 12 did not challenge Kyler Murray for what Alabama threw at him. And Murray didn't know what to do with that pressure Alabama right. put up, exactly. opened up the middle on in that and, game. And he adjusted as, as the game went on, and, you know, he, he played better in the second half, and so I give him credit for that. But how will he do when you face – you have 16 Alabamas on your schedule in the NFL. Uh, you know, and that's it's a, just a different dynamic. And so I understand why people uh, are high on Kyler Murray. I completely understand he's a dynamic athlete. There's a lot there to be uh, – you know, a lot of optimism – the big thing for Kyler Murray this week, as much as we get hung up on the measurements and all that, the big thing is going to be the interviews. Uh, sitting down with him, putting him on the whiteboard, understanding, okay, where is he mentally in terms of uh, reading coverages, uh, understanding protections, going through progressions, uh, just understanding it's such a mental position and an intangible position. So the interview process is going to be paramount for Kyler Murray more so than anything else. As great as his numbers were mm -hmm. and compared to Baker Mayfield, Mayfield to me was a much more advanced thrower of the football he than was. he was. He was. Okay. And, uh, but I, I will say I was, I was impressed how accurate Kyler Murray oh. is. He's naturally accurate. And, he his, just, and he's got a strong enough arm to make all the throws, he, too. He, he's running out there. He looks like a mini Mahomes. Sure he does, absolutely. Absolutely. He changes his arm angles. Uh, he can throw off platform. Uh, just has those instincts. You know, if, I get the question all the time, like, what instincts, what's that mean? Next time someone asks me that, I just tell them, watch, watch a Pat Mahomes. Watch a Kyler Murray. They just have that instinct to them where they can use that athleticism, use all their gifts mm -hmm. in unison to make plays downfield. All right, I know we're, we're kind of running out of time on the segment, but i got to ask you, which quarterback has the best opportunity to enhance his stock at the Combine? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, you know, it's hard to say one of these top guys because they're already one of the top guys. But I, I think Dwayne Haskins has a chance to kind of quiet some of the doubters because he's going to throw here, and I think what he's going to do in the interviews, which unfortunately we won't have access right. to, I think he's going to show that even though he has 14 starts, even though uh, you know he doesn't have the experience of some of these guys, you know, coming from Urban Meyer's offense, which isn't known for an offense for producing NFL quarterbacks. I think he's really going to impress with what he has between the years in terms of what he understands, uh, reading coverages and doing everything. I think the mental mm -hmm. capacity of Dwayne Haskins is going to impress. We're going to talk about his arm plenty with when he throws on Saturday, but I think what he does in the interview process and what he does uh, above the neck, that's going to impress more than anything else. Final one for me, second round. Let's say the Giants want to target an offensive tackle and a defensive end. They want to walk mm -hmm. out with two good players at those two positions. Mm -hmm. If you're balancing value first round versus value second round, where do you think you're going to find value in that second round? The defensive end or an offensive tackle? Or are all the premium guys that you think you can start day one, are they going to be gone? Yeah, that, no, that's, that's a good question. And I, I, honestly, the, uh, my, my cheat answer is you take the better player in round one and you worry about – And you hope. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Give me the better player at six, whether that's the tackle or the defensive well, you end. you have to. Right, exactly. And so, you know, you can't try to predict what's going to be there in the second round. The, that would be my answer. But at the same time, I, I think the 
the pass rushers, there's more pass rushers in this group than there are tackles. And everybody is looking for both these positions, but I think more so for tackle. I don't see the tackle position stretching into the early second round where a Jalen Ferguson from Louisiana Tech, who unfortunately is not here or won't be working out, uh, you know, I could see him being there in the early second round. Uh, you know, there, there's, I think the pass rusher group, there's a better chance that stretches into the second round more so than the tackles. Do you think the best shot of the tackles is Little getting there in round two? Out of the, including like guys like Andre Dillard, Dillard would and, be in that yeah, group yeah, too, yeah. I, probably. Um, I, but even even little, I think there's a good chance. Again, these 32 teams need more offensive tackle help, yeah, you know. Absolutely. And so I think <laughs> we're not going to see him fall that far. But I think he would have the best chance. Yeah. Let me just clarify yeah, that though. I think I think when you talk about the tackles, a lot of people immediately say, okay, for first round value, you have to be a left tackle. Mm-hmm. See, the Giants already have a very expensive left tackle who they're not moving out of there. Right. The right tackle is more their need. Mm-hmm. You could probably, I would think, because there's much less, less of a premium on a right tackle, get one in round two. Could you not? Th- that's fair, and I think a guy like Caleb McGarry from Washington, who would, I think he'd make sense. If he his was, medical's okay. Right, exactly. He has a heart issue, and I think he, but he's going to test really well here. Uh, athletically, he's going to be uh, a guy that creates a little bit of buzz. Um, but you know he had a good Senior Bowl week. Uh, he has good tape. So I think Caleb McGarry. That I think that fits that conversation. Who played right tackle in college? Right. Even when Trey Adams got hurt, their left tackle, he stayed at right tackle. So that would. Uh, I think if you're if you go pass rusher in the first and the tackles get wiped out, I, I think that'd be a tackle you look at in the second round. Caleb McGarry from Washington. Final one, real quick. Depth at linebacker, safety, cornerback, middle rounds, mm-hmm. even early day three. Can you find a player at one of those spots? I think so, yeah. Linebacker, is, it's not a great group. If we're going to list the positions in terms of the strongest or weakest, I think linebacker is probably at the bottom. Okay. Uh, but Jelani Tavai from Hawaii, one of my personal favorites. He'll be a borderline top 100 guy when it's all said and done. Uh, corners, you can find you know these big, long corners. They're going to go early, and then some of the other corners that might get passed up, they'll be around. So yeah, I, I think that each one of those positions, you can earmark some guys middle rounds, set, or third, fourth, fifth round would be available. Dane, awesome stuff, man. We appreciate Enjoyed it. it. Dane Brewer from guys. the Athletic. Thank you. When's your draft guide hitting the shelves? Uh, it'll be in April, and so it'll be. Uh, it might be. A, it might be special for athletic users. We'll see. Uh, okay. But so get your subscription and uh, a lot of good info there. Well, good stuff, Dane. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Enjoy guys. the rest of the combine. That's Dane Brugler. We'll be back with more. We'll take your calls at 201-939-4513 on Big Blue Kickoff Live when we return. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino. We have some time to take your calls. If you want to get in, and give us a ring at 201-939-4513. We'll try to do some rapid fire here, folks. Get some questions in. We'll get you in. We'll move on. We'll get to as many callers as you can. We'll have Kim Jones from NFL Network joining us in just a little bit. So that's the deal. Get on the line again, 201-939-4513. Of course, it's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Paul, your takeaways from Dane, first and foremost. Well, you know, we've been saying all along what the Giants' primary needs are, and they're, they're not a secret, okay? The question becomes, do they feel like they have the quarterback of the future staring them in the face? Mm-hmm. But aside from that, we all know what the needs are. Dave Gettleman has said how many times, defense, 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 and he loves hog mollies. So we know pretty much what the, what the want list is. Still, it just seems to me and and maybe you interpret it differently, that the Giants' want list kind of jives with what's available in this draft. I think it's a very good year to not only want defensive front seven, but it's it's a good year to want a right tackle. Maybe not a left tackle, because there may be only three first-rounders, maybe, but a right tackle? You heard him say it. And McGarry's one of the guys on my radar for sure, if his medical goes well. 
there's going to be a right tackle there in the second round, much like Will Hernandez wound up being available at left guard in the second round last year. Which we didn't think he was going to be, by the way. But he was. Correct. Yeah, it seems to line up. This is one of the better tackle classes I think we've seen in a while. No uh, question. An offensive tackle. Not even close, John. The last couple of years, we were struggling to find a guy that was worthy of a top 15 pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, you're going to have multiple, I think probably as many as four or five offensive tackles taken in the first round, and then maybe one of those guys slides down. If they don't, then maybe you could wait a little bit longer for a right tackle. And I think the other thing, too, a pass rusher, Paul, you have your choice of a dif- different types of players, and it kind of depends what yeah. you're looking for, and, and that'll Agreed. give you a lot of different options. Yeah, th- there's no doubt. You're looking at apples and oranges and pears and cucumbers. I mean, every variety that you want, it depends on your system and what mm-hmm. your preference is for a certain guy's style of play right. and his particular s- toolbox. Uh, I think the interesting part that we mentioned, though, about the tackles, John, much like last year when we said that Hernandez dropped out of the first round, why? because five quarterbacks went in round one. Right. Now, there are some people who think four quarterbacks could go in round one this year. Yeah. It may wind up being the same domino effect that helps the Giants out to get another offensive lineman in back-to-back seasons. All right, you ready to take some calls? Let's go. Let's go. 201-939-4513. We're going to lead off with Jose in Florida on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jose, what's going on, buddy? What's your question? Hey, John and Paul. How you guys doing? Hi. We're good, Jose. What's up? Okay, real quick. Uh, last time, I don't know if you remember, I called John. I said that the first thing the Giants needed was defense because nobody was afraid of the Giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, compelling argument of what the uh, the guy from the uh, – I forgot the name of the company. The Athletic, yep. But anyway, my question is the Athletic, right. Um, if the Giants had the opportunity and for some reason Dwayne Haskins fell to them, I don't see a problem with them picking Dwayne Haskins. He's going to surprise a lot of people, even you, Paul. <laughs> but um, if not, I'll definitely agree with maybe a defensive player, and I'll take my question offline, see what you guys think about it. Thank you. I okay. appreciate that, Jose. Thanks for the call. I think I need to reiterate something that's very important here. And for all you folks out in Twitterland and Webland, listen up. This is a big deal. The asterisk, big deal. The asterisk for me. Well, because I get a lot of Twitter hate from these quarterback people who just are salivating for a quarterback. Okay? Here's the deal, folks. If Dave Gettleman is all in on a quarterback who he 100% has conviction, he's the next franchise guy and he takes him at six, I tip my cat to Dave Gettleman because he knows a heck of a lot more about football than I do. And so good luck and God bless and I hope it works out. So I will not, will not question Dave Gettleman if he says, you know what, this is the guy, just like Ernie, of course, he felt about Eli Manning. Now, you're asking me for my preference based on my logic and my likes? I'm not taking a quarterback in the first round. But, again, understand, if Gettleman does, I'm all in on him. This guy's been doing it a long time. He's gone to seven Super Bowls, folks. He's won three of them. And the thing about Haskins, there are a lot of questions with Murray with size, stature, and and, and that sort of thing. I think with Haskins, you have a much better feel for exactly the type of NFL quarterback he's going to become. I'm with Dane. I don't think he's as good as the top three guys from last year. That's just my opinion. Um, But I can see where fans would get excited about him. He's 6'3". He's got a big arm. Um, He was very productive. He played in a system at Ohio State where I think it translates fairly well. He made throw, intermediate throws, which you have to do in the in the NFL, but there are things that he has to work on in order to get better. And I think the one thing Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer said yesterday is that the good thing about if you do go quarterback here is that you don't have to play him right away. 
you can do what the Chiefs did with Pat Mahomes and that Alex Smith. True. And they, they called it the Alex Smith method, right? The Kansas that, City the plan. The Kansas City plan, right? Where you can basically let this guy groom behind them and figure things out mentally before you put him out there on the field. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt that that's the preference uh, of what they've expressed. I also want to just make one point here, folks. We talked yesterday about Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman, who addressed the media here at the Combine, and I thought that Dave Gettleman said something that was very, very specific and interesting. When he was asked about the quarterbacks, he said, it's a nice-looking group. When he was asked about the big guys up front, he said, it's a really strong draft for the hog mollies. Hogs, he called them. He didn't call them hog mollies. He called them hogs. Really strong compared to nice looking. That says to me, he believes there's a lot more value at the trenches than there is at quarterback. That's pure logic talking, folks. And if there is... You can bet it won't be a quarterback at six if that is to be perceived as a hint. And, of course, it's, it's going to impact, too, what they decide to do in the draft based on free agency. Well, free you know, agency is certainly a component. We've discussed that before. Yeah, I mean, you, you have a lot of different options here in free agency. There are some classes that are better than others, like defensive end is a, is a very strong free agent class, for example. We think. Um, well, the depending on the franchise coming. tags. And, <laughs> and we'll have Joel Corey, former NFL agent, come on and talk about that later on in the show. Right. But, you know— That'll de- that'll determine what you kind of feel imp- you know compelled to do in the draft. And Dave Gettleman has always been very clear: I'm not going to pick a guy that's not the best player. I'm not going to reach for need. He doesn't like to do those sorts of things. But what happens in free agency naturally will impact what happens on draft day. Yeah, th- th- look, th- there's no question. It is a two-part deal. I just want to read one thing to you. Sure. And t- speaking about logic, you know, I'm a historian. I'm a big old-school guy. Since the merger in 1970, when the AFL and NFL combined to become the AFC-NFC, there have been five quarterbacks taken with the number six overall pick. Richard Todd by the Jets in 76, Rich Campbell by Green Bay in 81, Kelly Stauffer by the Rams in 87, David Klingler by Cincinnati in 92, and Trent Dilfer by Tampa Bay in 1999. Uh, What do all of them have in common? Bust with a big B. Uh, The quarterback position, when you fail and fail that high, is very costly and very painful. Between those guys, one Pro Bowl between them, Dilfer in 97. Dilfer and Todd each went to two playoff seasons. The rest of the guys, zero. That is a very unimpressive list, and that goes back Quarterbacks taken at number six since 1970. That's a pretty strong piece of historical evidence. Now, that doesn't mean that the guy who's taken this year has to be burdened with the tag of history. It doesn't mean that, okay? But when you talk about old school people like Dave Gettleman, who believes a lot in history and understands the core beliefs of what he's gone through and how many decades of pro football, Those things are going to cross your mind. They absolutely will. Well, and I think it goes to the point that Dane made when he spoke to him, too, is that, generally speaking, the great quarterbacks go top five, top three. And once you get out of that top three and guys start leaking later on to that first round, your success rate drops, especially when you drop into the second, third, fourth, fifth round, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a reason the elite guys go as high as they go. They don't get by a lot of teams. and, And the funny part is we've talked about the bust rate before, 
first-round quarterback bust rates are are definitely very, very, very high because they yeah. tend to get overdrafted. But if you hit, you could have you could have a great guy. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be joined by Kim Jones from NFL Network in just a moment right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. We'll be right back. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino with you. And now we're joined by one of the friends of the program, and that's Kim Jones from the NFL Network. Kim, great to have you here. How are you? Hello. It's great to be here. I love the Combine. I know. And you've been working the floor like a mad woman over the past <laughs> couple of days. Was it hard to track you down? You're always working so hard. Give me a couple of general feelings you're getting about the draft class this year, just listening to all the head coaches and GMs that you've seen speak at the podium about 100 yards or so down the field. Yeah, really strong D-line group, um, and really front seven. Some people are less enthusiastic about um, the linebackers, but a lot of GMs I'm talking to, coaches, are putting the whole front seven in the group, which that's good. You need a lot of those players. You, you know, you need, we've seen them uh, in big spots in this league uh, lately and forever. So, and the Giants know that. So, certainly with the, the D-line, you can make a splash. You can get an instant impact, whether you're at three like the Jets are, the six where the Giants are, or anywhere in between, uh, and even past that. That's going to be interesting to see who goes off the board when. Scheme will come into play there. Um, and so will exactly what these players do because they've got some really explosive, really big men that we'll see on Sunday. We know the quarterbacks always grab the headlines, mm-hmm. and the media's having a feast talking about Murray's height. They're talking about the fact that he's not going to throw, but Haskins will. Yeah. Are the NFL execs that much intrigued, or is this more of the figment of the media's imagination because the NFL execs pretty much know what those guys are? I think they're incredibly intrigued by Murray. I don't think the height bothers them. The one thing I did talk to someone about, and I thought it was a smart observation, was that with the more disciplined rush in the NFL compared to college, are they going to cause, are are defenses in the NFL going to cause Murray more issues? I think he only had five batted passes. Right, correct. I'm sure there's a 6'3 quarterback in college football who had more than five batted passes. And he's also playing in the Big 12, Kim, where the defenses aren't exactly known as being great. And I understand, I do understand that, right. But they're going to be more disciplined in the NFL. They're going to be in his sight lines. They're going to understand, you know, get your hands up. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you want to get your hands up with Eli Manning, let alone with a guy who's, what, six inches shorter than Eli, five, five inches shorter than Eli. So um, I do think there's a lot of intrigue about him. There's some belief Arizona is going to take him first overall. They'll have to move Rosen, of course, but um, there is that belief. Um, Haskins, I think people have respect for his game, uh, his footwork, his arm. He's played one season, though I think uh, you're hearing from people that's probably enough. It's not like he played four games. He played a season. Interesting thing. Uh, we heard Mike Mayock, I believe, uh, just talked to, uh, yesterday mm-hmm. about how he believes that Derek Carr is a franchise quarterback, and maybe that would eliminate the Raiders from possibly taking one mm-hmm. of these kids because they've been attached to right. those guys too. It could, although with Gruden and Mayock, you know, I'm not sure that <laughs> Gruden talked today and, and mentioned the idea, he, yeah, he's our franchise quarterback, you know, but I'm not sure how much they're going to give away. Right. You know, on of that course. on that level, uh, and I also think one thing that that we outsiders, so to speak, believe is that these NFL people have this all figured out. The truth is, the NFL people, a lot of them, come to the combine beginning to figure them out. Correct. Now, mm-hmm. do you have area scouts? Do you have national scouts who know these guys? You know, up and down. Of course, you do. Do you have GMs who are more in tune right now with what they might do in the first round if they get their choice? Of course, there are, but. 
coaches in particular are just getting up to speed on these guys. And I think even front office people would admit to you, um, at least off the record, that they very much are still getting to know this group. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, I've had people also say to me that they're not convinced the last, that last year's group of quarterbacks is what we saw them to be. You know, they're not, sh- they're not sold on that group. They're not sure. I had someone say to me, I'm not sure Josh Allen's not going to be the best of that group. Right. And he didn't have the best rookie season of them mm-hmm. all. We know that. So, you know, with quarterbacks, it does take time. We don't ever allow for that anymore. So we get the instant <laughs> <No>. judgment, and <laughs> we decide right now what we think of them. Now, you also cover the Jets for NFL Network, too, mm-hmm. and it sure sounded like they put a big for sale wow. sign on their third pick in the draft. What's your feel yeah. for the movement well, that might happen above right. the Giants at six? Right, and why not? You know, if you're the Jets, you've got a quarterback. You think someone might want to go up and get a quarterback. Um, if I were the Jets, though, I would be leery about giving away a absolute gem of a defensive player at three. Which they need. If Josh Allen's there and you go, you uh, mm-hmm. bypass him, it might be at your own peril. I mean, he, he is a freak. He is someone I've heard great, great things about as a person as well. Uh, and I've heard more uh, talent evaluators this year talk about the person. They're drafting, not mm. just the player. I find that stuff interesting. Quinn and Williams obviously could still be there at three, could be. Sure. Uh, jo- Johnny, Joey Bosa probably off the board by three, we think, right now as things stand. Mm-hmm. I would be careful about just getting quantity over quality. To this point, what is the most surprising thing you've heard this last couple of days? I think the enthusiasm about Kyler Murray. Because mm-hmm. I thought, you know, you know the NFL, Paul. Yeah. You do too, John. Of course. Um, you know, it's a it's a group that believes what it believes, and it takes a long time to change those beliefs. He he, uh, his height is just a shade over five ten. I'm five eight and a half. I won't have heels on on Saturday. I am interested to at least stand next to him. Yeah, me too. You know, I do know. I, I believe his measurement five ten and a shade uh-huh. a, a tenth over. You know, uh, two hundred and seven six pounds or seven pounds. So he gained. Quite a bit of weight recently. Yeah, which, they, yeah which, I think they thought he played like 185 this yeah, year, right? Give or take. Yeah, and that's I mean that's really slight. Yeah. So um, that may be a reason he's not going to do drills. Just put on a bunch of weight to impress on the weight. My hurt is 40. Wait for right. Wait for the pro day to do everything else. But be interesting to see if he sticks to not throwing. He is a competitive kid. Uh, we know that. So, um, so so you don't think that's written in? in well, ink Ian Rappaport, Ian Rappaport, my colleague at NFL Network, said. There's a chance that the competitive juices kick in and he throws. Now, hmm. something tells me that won't be in the moment. That would be more planned. Right. You know, because you're yeah. not going to just in the moment pick up a football no, you're and start not. throwing it. No, you're um, not. But uh, we'll see how that develops. A couple, couple things more about him, and I, I don't want to make the whole segment about him, but I think he's certainly very interesting. Mm-hmm. A, I read something, I think it was in the last two days, about there's some concerns about his dad being like LeVar Ball's dad, mm-hmm. where he's a little bit mouthy okay. and teams don't like distractions. Yeah. Is that something you're hearing from, from front office people? I've not, not heard at all. that at all. Uh, and then the other question is, how many football people, front office people, are not necessarily convinced he's all in on football despite his announcement? Well, and they, that's why the interviews with him here are crucial. So let's say he ends up doing nothing on the field Saturday. Nothing. Well, he will have already done interviews that are vitally important mm-hmm. to those teams that are going to have a chance to draft him. So 
Uh, and listen, if Arizona sold guys, he doesn't need to convince anyone else. No, I mean, let's put it, let's be honest. If Kingsbury really does believe, unless the cards that, in, that's unless it. that was some gamesmanship, you know, from Texas Tech to Oklahoma when he talked about him when both were still in college. If Kingsbury really is sold on him, he doesn't need to impress many people. He just needs to convince one that he's all in on football. What but we- that is something that teams. I thought John Gruden made the interesting point today because you know he was with the Oakland A's. They're obviously still the Oakland Raiders, and he did say, uh, I'm paraphrasing Gruden, but he said along the lines of, we've got to be sensitive to the A's are in our town also. Interesting. Uh, he turned them down. we got to make sure he's in on football, or they would want to make sure he's in on football. Right. What was your take on the Cardinals hedging their bets on Josh Rosen slightly yesterday? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I didn't hear a lot of that specifically, but they've got to be. Yeah, to for some now, be- yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for yeah. now, yeah. <laughs> um, listen, we know when a coach comes in and he hasn't picked that quarterback or a new regime, now Steve Kime was there. Correct, right. But uh, Bruce Arians is also a very strong head coach, and then they had the year with Steve Wilkes. So they've had some change there, a lot of change there recently, you know, in terms of personnel and and probably preferences. My guess is Bruce Arians would want a different quarterback than Cliff Kingsbury, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I do think that Arizona around the league is viewed as a team setting itself up to very possibly take Murray one. You know, last year you were the first person to come out and say the Giants should grab Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. And so I want to give you credit for that publicly now in case no, <laughs> nobody saw you say it. I'm telling you. I have taken credit for that you, many times. I know, but you know what? I'm giving it to you <laughs> Thank again. Thank you. And, and certainly he turned out to be an all-world talent. Mm-hmm. There is still the group of naysayers that says you can't draft a running back that right. high. You can't draft a safety that high. You can't draft certain positions that high. After what the Giants did by breaking that mold and taking a guy who is a difference maker and an all-world player, do you think there's less of a phobia in this year's draft about positions and values about, oh, we can't take this guy because he plays that? Maybe. I mean, there will be some teams that, that still believe in that. I mean, you look at what the Jets did. They took a safety instead of Patrick Mahomes, but they're in love with Sam Darnold. So, and no one reminds them about the Mahomes thing. No, no one. No, it's true. no one brings it up. Right. It's true. You know, there are other teams. Believe me, I know of teams. Their safety's them, pretty good, though. Kicking themselves. <laughs> you know? No, no, I understand that. But uh, kicking themselves about not taking Patrick Mahomes, it's now, you know, this growing list of teams that is saying, we did like him. We didn't have the guts, you know, to pull the to pull the deal off, to go mm-hmm. get him. So uh, you're, you're always going to hear that. I, you know, I had a head coach stop me in the hallway. Well, he didn't really stop me. We stopped to chat. But one of the things he said to me was, how great was that pick of Saquon for the Giants? Like, he just volunteered it because I didn't start talking about Saquon. Right. So um, I think around the league it's viewed as a very smart pick. I understand fans are saying, well, what are we going to do at quarterback long term? But um, I, I think you're always going to have teams willing to break the mold. I guess that's how I would long-windedly mm-hmm. answer your question, Paul. I think you're always going to have a team. Like, you can't tell me that – like a less need, um, a John Dorsey isn't going to take the guy he wants if he happens to be a safety. Right. If he happens to be, you know, obviously an offensive lineman. Quentin Nelson went high last year, and that was not a disappointment. Now, there's not a Quentin Nelson in this draft, by the way, so don't get your hopes up on that. But <laughs> um, I think we've seen it, and there are GMs who will do it. Not mm-hmm. every GM, but there certainly are. Kim, final question. We'll get more to the Giants with Dan Duggan yep. from The Athletic in a moment. Your big takeaway from listening to Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman when they addressed uh, the media yesterday. Yeah, I think uh, the idea that uh, Eli's their guy, uh, Pat more strongly than Dave. Yep. Um, my sense is I could end up being wrong on this. Um, so far I haven't been. 
I think they've become exhausted by the Odell trade stuff um, because it just won't go away. Mm -hmm. Could they eventually make a deal because it makes sense and because it's overwhelming? I suppose. I don't see that happening. Again, at some point I could end up being wrong on that one. But a lot of people have been wrong on it already, and it doesn't seem to matter. Um, <laughs> How true is that? You know, so I, I think that there's some fatigue there. And in my opinion, none of that's Odell's fault. No, so I, it's I not don't his fault that people keep bringing this up. I agree. People keep saying mm-hmm. his name to get their name out there. And the me- people in the media do that all the time, and it's shameful. But people bring his name up because they know what they say about him is going to get attention, and it's shameful. How about and the it, Landon? They don't care if they're right. How about the stuff they said about Landon? I thought that was interesting. It did not surprise me that Shermer said essentially like that was portrayed with more drama than there ever was. Um, I don't. Pat Shermer's not a big drama guy. Right. Um, no, he is not. You know, That's and I correct. also think that Dave and Pat certainly have been around long enough to understand players get frustrated, agents get frustrated. Yep. They want the deal yesterday, and the deal will happen on everyone's terms not on the player and his agent's terms. And that's the NFL. That's the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, you know, That's also Gettleman. It is. Yeah, <laughs> no, and I understand that. But, you know, I suspect Landon will still be a giant. I don't know that they would go to the wall for him at this point, to be honest. But I, I suspect he will still be a giant. If not, you need two safeties. Uh, everyone in the world, oddly, wants to get rid of OV. So then you need everyone to pass rush. Who, <laughs> and you need to sign a bunch of them. And you don't have enough money to do that. Yeah, I don't know how that would work. And really. you still need um, a guy sideline to sideline because mm-hmm. they can't find that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't come cheap, whether it's a draft pick or a free agent. So everyone wants to get rid of everyone on the Giants. And then I don't know how you're going to field a team. Okay. I don't know how you're going to field a team. It's great to see you here and healthy. Great seeing you. you. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much, and we'll catch up with you soon, all right? Okay, thanks. It's Kim Jones on the NFL Network. We're right back with Dan Duggan from The Athletic. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Paul Dettino, John Schmelk, and our next guest is Dan Duggan, covers the Giants for The Athletic. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Enjoying the combine. Well, let's start with where we ended with Kim, your major takeaways from Coach Shermer and Dave Gettleman yesterday. I think my biggest takeaway was I came away thinking there's a chance they let Landon Collins walk, and I came to Indianapolis thinking that wasn't a possibility. I figured at the bare minimum they would tag him and then figure it out. Dave certainly left the window open, He left right? that window wide open. The thing I take away from it is not so much what he said, it's what he didn't say. He only focused on sort of the negatives. He didn't say anything like, hey, we can lock up a 25-year-old defensive playmaker and, and have him under contract for five years. It was, it eats up a lot of cap space if you tag him. If you tag him and he's unhappy, it becomes a distraction. It just seemed like he was looking at it from a very negative point of view and to me that just said I think that's where his head is at I'm not saying it won't happen and you know it's a week to go it could be just posturing negotiations but I just came here not thinking that was a possibility and that jumped out to me yeah well that whole salary cap thing really stuck out like a sore thumb in that conversation right. and you know I, I get it you know if you tag him it's a really big number and if you don't tag him you know he's probably going to want a really big number anyway. <laughs> right, right. No, and it's a tough. It's you're always like you know Dave said nothing's you know in a vacuum. You make decisions, they impact other decisions. I guess I would look at it as if you let Landon Collins walk, okay, you're going to get a replacement. Probably not as good. It might be cheaper, but not as good. Are you are you overall helping the team? That tag number is high, so yeah, I think it'd be best for all parties if they can come to a a long term deal that has a lower cap hit in year one. Obviously, we know that Kevin Abrams can work his magic, but. Uh, I just I just can't see how you can end last season saying the defense was the weakness and then let one of your homegrown young guys who's voted a team captain. I just I can't see any well, scenario how it improves the team to let him walk. And then consider that the other safety is a very thin spot too. Right. So yeah, you're gonna have to fill two holes, and, and you couldn't fill one of them last year when you already had Landon, and so they're gonna to start from scratch. That that's dicey to me. Yeah, if, if they had some young guy kind of 
building behind him, but you didn't see enough from the Sean Chandlers of the world to Don't feel know. comfortable he can step in or Don't place know. Landon Collins, that's for sure. Listen to Dave Gettleman, Dan. It seemed to me he just wanted to keep all his options open. He wouldn't commit to anything. And, right. you know, he's like, maybe, maybe not. We're still early in the process. And Coach Shermer, I think, did the same thing when talking about the quarterbacks. And obviously Kyler Murray's the star here. That's who everybody's talking about. And both guys were very clear that, and you could tell when Dave Gettleman started his press conference talking about instincts at the quarterback position, that's who he was talking about. You could tell that's who he was talking about. And then Pat Sherman made the point, too, oh, I can have a short quarterback? No problem. It's fine. I just thought it was very interesting that both guys seemed to be, we're not going to close the door to anything at this point. Right, and, and that's the biggest thing you have to do at this time of year. You know, you ask me for my takeaway. You're always just reading the tea leaves. You never take anything at face value. I mean, it'd be crazy to come out here and say, oh, yeah, we're only taking quarterbacks 6-2 and up and just yeah, eliminate exactly. a guy who's a top, you know, five prospect in, no in a doubt. lot of people's eyes. Um, but I, I would say Pat Shermer especially sounded very open to the Kyler Murray, mm. more so than I maybe came in again expecting because he said last year he was on record. Yep. I, I fancy quarterbacks who are tall. He seemed also fancy quarterbacks who light it up like Kyler Murray did and can do some of the things he can do. I mean, he referenced he didn't have many passes batted down. Again, that's why I'm looking at more what guys say, what they don't say. He highlighted a positive. He didn't have many passes batted down, which, again, it's a minor note, but it's, it's, it's you know, these guys aren't robots. They still have thoughts that they, they do let slip out once in a while, and that's what we're here to, to pounce on and try and, and grab onto. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, and nobody has – I don't think people have brought it up much, is that Pat Shermer basically said he's watched every snap yeah. of every quarterback in this draft. So The top while, guys. Yeah, of the top guys, right? So I figured the top five, six guys. He's probably seen Kyle Shermer every snap, too. Right? I'm sure he has, too, exactly. So Dave Gettleman basically said that quarterback's a priority. He wants to find the next franchise guy, but it doesn't have to be this year. Right. But they're looking hard, and they know they're going to have to do something there in the next one, two, at most, probably three seasons, right? right. Of course, unless a bomb drops, like Dave said, and then none of this matters. But yes. no, uh, and the thing I think that he said that was really interesting, again, because I think you know, fans got to see him at the podium. You know, we got to sit with him for a half an hour afterwards. I think he was a little bit more. It's almost 45 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, was, yeah. it was great. I mean, he was a little bit more open. You kind of could follow up a little bit more on questions. And I thought one of the interesting things he was asked about, you know, do you need to get a franchise quarterback in the first round? And clearly they're outliers. There's Tom Brady's. There's Russell Wilson's. But he said, if you look at the history, uh-huh. you got to get them early. So I look at it this way. I don't know if they're taking one this year. But if they are taking one this year, I think it's going to be at six. It's not going to be in the second round. They're not going to do the fourth round thing again. I think it's kind of all in at six. Or then you're looking at next year. I don't see them kind of doing yeah, the half-in, half-out thing with we'll take a shot at a mid-round flyer. I think it's six, or we'll you know, revisit it next year. The other thing I thought that uh, Dave Gettleman was very clear about, when he was asked, I think it might have been on he might have asked a question about the culture of the locker room. Now, he basically came into this Giants organization, did Gettleman, with a two-part plan. One was to clean up the locker room and get the environment that he wanted. Mm-hmm. And then number two was to make sure you build up the talent as much as you can. Right. But then when he was asked by, by Art, well, do you think you got the culture thing out of the way? And he's like, no, no, you always think about that. And I thought that was very interesting, too, because that means as they're evaluating these guys, that personality profile is still going to be a very big component as right, to where right. they put those guys on the board. Yeah, I think this is a G-rated show, so we won't get into all the uh, terminology used, but there's a <laughs> a-hole quotient. We'll, we'll clean it up. We're not going there. <laughs> and listen, I mean, there are certain guys where you have to take on a little more risk if the talent justifies it. But I think, you know, all things being equal, he's always going to want to get a character guy in here over a guy who has a higher quotient of the uh, – of that trait. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so that, and it's like, you know, he built the, the culture he wanted. You still got to get talent, though, too. So you, you can take some risks. You have to have the, the leaders in there, the Nate Solders, sure. the Michael Thomases, and you have enough of those guys you can maybe withstand one or two, but you, he's not going to say, okay, we got the culture. Now let's just 
you know, take red flag guys left and right and hope it works out. He's not going to go backwards on that front. I mean, that's the thing you know, he can point to has probably made the most progress, that the character of the team definitely improved, maybe not the results yeah. as much as they wanted. And Dave spoke about how the cap situation isn't quite as advantageous as some people might think. How do you think the Giants are going to treat free agency this year? Are we looking at a big splash or a bunch of small pieces to shore up position? So – you're not desperate when you get the draft time. I mean, that was a really interesting comment, actually. Like, they kind of – I haven't even really touched on anything I've written yet because, you know, you're covering Eli and, and everything like that. But to, he wants to go into the season with 8 to $10 million in rainy day money. And, and you might not ever spend that. That's fine. People also have to keep in mind carryover cap space, too. And, and that's why some of the contracts he gave out last year I thought were, you know, Jonathan Stewart or whoever, was bad contracts because – Okay, you lost the three million in 2018. You also can't carry that to 2019. So if you have eight to ten million sitting there in your rainy day fund and no one gets hurt and you don't have to spend it, well then you just carry it over. And you have more space next year, but it, it does cut into. They don't have 30 million to spend. They have 20 million right off the top. He's eliminating that. Then you have to factor in the draft pool. And, and you all. have to save money for incentives too. It's not just signing guys. Yeah, guys get incentives paid off, and that's part of that eight to ten so million too. So I don't. Too. I don't that's think really we're true. seeing a, a Nate Solder type signing. I think that you know maybe you take one swing at a, a sort of higher team. You know I don't know what guys are going to. I mean, like the Daryl Williams, I think a lot of people have signaled, you know, he might be the, the yeah. bigger free agent. I don't know what his price tag will end up being. I haven't done enough you know, homework on that yet. That's what this week is kind of for. Um, but, no, I don't think they're going to be huge players in free agents. I don't think they can afford to, especially when he's, you know, not handicapping them, but he's he's putting a limit. It's not $30 million, It's really $20 million, and then that's where the landing thing factors in. So I just don't see a way that they're going to go out and spend big bucks in free agents. I don't think they can. Gut feeling, and I know it's premature, so we're not going to hold you to this, but – we know the Giants need to add pieces in the draft, but free agency as well, and they don't have a ton of money to do it. So, in your opinion, what position do you think they're more likely to go free agent addition as opposed to drafting? That's a good question. I think I would think they probably have to screw up that right tackle spot. That's why I said Darrell Williams. If there's a if there's a veteran offensive lineman that they feel comfortable who could, you know, maybe not at Nate Solder's level, but, you know, be a guy who steps in. Because I think that was a weak spot last year. I mean, obviously they tried with Flowers. You know, Wheeler, you know, he gutted it out. But I don't think he's an NFL starting right tackle for a quality offensive line. So I think that's a spot if they can get a guy for the right price. But, you know, if they can't find a guy there, then they can certainly just flip to the other side and maybe find one of those second-tier pass rushers or, mm-hmm. or, you know, the secondary still has hold. I mean, there's plenty of places to, to try and figure out where the money's going to go, and, and that's why Dave gets paid the big bucks because it's not, oh, it's just this one hole. They fix that, and they're you know, on their way. I mean, there's, they're going to have – everything's going to work in concert. The free agency has – like he said, free agency has to set up your draft. So we'll obviously have a lot better idea what their draft needs are going to be after free agency. Right. But going to free agency, you have to attack your, your biggest holes first because there's no guarantees that you know, you'll be able to fill them in the draft. What's the spot on this team that you think they need to get some improvement at that you don't think enough people are talking about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, oh, man, this, <laughs> there's a lot of, lot of holes act. on that. Deep. Yeah, I, I think cornerback, really, because I think that there's sort of a feeling like, you know, I think Jenkins is going to be back. I don't think they can afford to get rid of him, cap issues, anything. I mean, he's a number one corner in this league, a little inconsistent, but mm-hmm. if you get rid of him, it's I think a we agree huge with drop off mm-hmm. there. I mean, B.W. Webb stepped in last year. He's a free agent. Grant Haley did some nice things. Sam Beal's going to start now. Small yeah. small samples. The cornerback position is very un, uh, unproven. If you could get a guy like Jason McCourty even for short money, a veteran guy, just to give a little stability there, something like that, I could see that being a, a spot that maybe they – I wouldn't feel comfortable the depth chart as it is now with Sam Beal, complete unknown, Grant Haley, small sample size, and saying, oh, that's our, our cornerback. I think that's a spot that's maybe getting overlooked because it's not the biggest pressing need, right. but it's something they need to address. At least they don't need a kicker. <laughs> they got that one. <laughs> they got that one locked up pretty good right there. Dan, good stuff, man. We appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you, you can Dan. Check appreciate Dan out it. on you. the Athletic. Make sure you go and subscribe. We'll be back with Joe Corey, former NFL agent.
breaking down the Giants' free agent class and salary cap when we return on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prize. It's John Schmelk, Paul Dettino, and our cavalcade of guests continues. We're joined by Joel Corey, former NFL agent, now for CBS Sports. Joel, how are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? It's good to see you, as always. And we actually had a chance to talk to Dave Gettleman yesterday, and he went into great detail about the Giants' salary cap situation and Landon Collins, which I thought was interesting. From a bird's eye view, how do you view the Giants' financial situation this offseason? Well, the first piece of the puzzle, which seems to be decided, is they're keeping Eli Manning. So if you're going to go with Eli this year, that means you must pick up a rookie quarterback with the number six pick or move up if there's someone who's going to potentially jump in front of you and take the guy that you would want. But I think this is Eli Manning being what Alex Smith was to Patrick Mahomes. It'll be his farewell song. His contract expires after this season, so you keep him. It is high $23.2 million cap number and $17 million salary, and then call it a day with him. That would be the Kansas City plan that uh, Gettleman had referred to yesterday when he was having his conversation with the media. Let me ask you this, though, Joel. Let's assume we know that we know that Eli is almost assuredly going to be the guy in 2019. Short of taking a flat-out reduction in pay, uh, do you believe there are palatable mechanisms to lower his cap number, whether it be changing bonus monies and incentives, doing an extension deal. I mean, you can always do those things, but as Gettleman says, that's kicking the can down the road, and that's a dangerous thing to do. Is there a palatable mechanism to help his number? Yeah, the palatable mechanism would be his $5 million roster bonus due, I think, third or fifth day of the league year. If he's willing to forego that, and take a pay cut of $5 million, turn that into incentives like his brother did his final year in Denver, except you'd have, you couldn't make it predicated on team success like Peyton's were getting to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl, because that's not happening for the Giants. But short of that, I don't think you do anything, because why are you going to take money, convert it into signing bonus, add fake voidable years where you can stretch out the proration for five years, then you have a residual cap charge in 2020. And why kick the can down the road if you can afford to eat the whole cap number this year? Then it's just clean, and he's off the books next year. Now, one thing Dave Gettleman said to us yesterday that was interesting, he likes to carry anywhere from 8 to $10 million into a season to use to pay for incentives, things like that that come up later, add veteran fragrance during the year. Is that standard protocol for NFL teams? How much money do teams like to carry in terms of cap space into the regular season to handle things like that. It varies from team to team. That was a little high, actually. When I heard when I saw the eight to ten, I was like, "See, I thought the same thing." Me too. I'm like that's about three to four million, a little higher than she, some teams. You say like five to, to six. Yeah, five to six is really what mm-hmm. you see most teams do. Some teams, like the Rams, were cutting it razor thin this year. Where some teams also, the Patriots ended up with uh, Stephon Gilmore uh, during the middle of the year converting. Um, salary into signing bonus right. to create more cap room. So, And the Giants did that last year with Janoris Jenkins. Right. There's more right. than one way to skin a cat. But um, ideally, you go in five, six million. What you'll see right around roster cut down time is if a team is very close to the cap, you may see a couple of restructures right before the beginning of the regular season just for that purpose. Let, let me ask you a CBA question, not necessarily as much cap related. With the CBA ending after 2020, 
I, I saw a story that said there's a built-in deal where teams are going to be allowed to tag a franchise guy and a transition guy in 2020. They're not going to have that uncapped year like when the last CBA expired. How much does that play into what teams are going to do now in free agency, the kind of offers they're going to make, duration, mechanisms, et cetera? It plays more into contract extensions because a team like Kansas City, knowing that they want to extend Tyreek Hill and Chris Jones had a breakout year, they don't have the urgency to get at least one done because in other any, any other year you have to get one done because the other one becomes automatically an unrestricted free agent. They have the luxury of restricting both. Same thing in Seattle. Frank Clark probably getting a franchise tag this year, Russell Wilson contract year. So obviously Russell Wilson gets the franchise tag which you could stick a transition tag on Frank Clark or Bobby Wagner in 2020. So it gives you more flexibility from that standpoint. How would you break down the Landon Collins potential uh, franchise tag with what he would get as an unrestricted free agent, what it would take to sign him long term? Just what's your overall take on on how that's going to play out and what it's going to take to to bring him back? Well, the last thing he wanted to be last year was a safety because safeties didn't get paid. Um, The caliber of safety available this year is much different because you've got the Earl Thomases, the Landon Collinses of the world out there. So HaHa Clinton Dix, who didn't really play well after the trade uh, from Green Bay to uh, Washington, but different caliber player. And you've seen Eric Reed this year automatic, already signed for slightly over $7 million per year. So much different safety market. Collins is probably thinking high-end, top of the safety market, over $10 million per year. The franchise tag is going to be in the 11-2, 11-3 range. So if you stick the franchise tag on him, and he seems like he doesn't want it, that you're automatically setting that as where negotiations are going to begin because any agent who is competent or savvy is going to take the average of two franchise tags and use that as a baseline for the for, for the. Uh, mark of a long-term deal interesting so they, they basically if they what the agent will do is they'll look at if they tag them two consecutive years yeah. take the average of those two and they're going to yeah. aim for that as their per year average right hmm. but you've got an interesting, interesting dynamic because dave gettleman is the only general manager in recent memory to rescind a franchise to pull tag. A Norman. Yeah, he did that with Josh Norman in 2016, so that wouldn't put it past him to put a tag on Landon Collins, doesn't like where things are headed, and then pull it. Does the fact that there are so many safeties available in the free agent market make him more likely or be okay to play in the franchise tag? Because a lot of times you get a lot of guys in the same position, you know, the value sometimes drops because demand isn't going to be as high. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Simple economics, supply yeah. and demand. Yeah, that could factor into it. He could be thinking that, well, I don't necessarily need to franchise them because there are enough safeties out there that if some team wants to go out and do something that we're not willing to do for Landon, we can find an adequate replacement. When you look at the Giants' roster and how much money they have, uh, most people seem to think they're not going to necessarily make one big splash. They might sign some secondary-level guys, kind of fill in some parts with medium-price salaries. Do you see it the same way? Well, they made a splash last year, which had uh, mixed success in Nate Solder. Um, I would not be surprised if they tried to address the offensive line in a meaningful way. And I always, when it was an agent, I would ask players who – do you have a relationship with elsewhere that's positive from a front office or coaching standpoint? The one guy offensive line that screams out 
potential giant Daryl Williams, who was hurt this year, 2017, right, right tackle for the Panthers. Um, had a Pro Bowl caliber year. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't surprise me if he is a giant. And then since he Dave, had that knee injury, though, which he, right now seems to make him a little sketchy. Uh, I don't really think injuries hamper someone in free agency the way they used to from what I've seen the past couple of years. Allen Robinson tears his ACL. He gets $14 million a year <laughs> from uh, Chicago. Uh, Matt Khalil plays two games in um, his contract year. Signs for $11 million per year with Carolina. And uh, who was the GM who took that risk? <laughs> yeah. And by, so, so I know a lot of fans think that, oh, maybe they'll get Darrell Williams on the cheap here. He's coming off an injury. You know, you get him under market value for offensive tackles. You don't no, see that I don't, th- I don't think that's going to happen. I don't okay. think it's going to affect Earl Thomas either, even though really? it's a second broken leg, because he was playing at a defensive player of the year caliber level before he got hurt. Even though he's almost 30, you still think he's going to get top of the market? Yeah, won't be, I don't value? think it's going to be a long-term deal like five years, but maybe over three years someone does. And the contracts aren't guaranteed anyway, so you really can count on the first two, three years when you sign an NFL contract. There seems to be a, a widespread opinion on Olivier Vernon, who has a large number, uh, but some people say, you know what, maybe the production doesn't warrant it. Other people say, hey, he's the Giants' best pass rusher. If they get rid of him, now they're desperate for even more pass rushing ability. Where do you stand? Well, if you had Jason Pierre-Paul, I think that would give you more flexibility for Olivier Vernon. But you traded him last year to Tampa. Um Vernon, when he was healthy last year, wasn't bad second half of the year. Yeah, he played well. Yeah, but why do you want to create another hole when you've when you've already gotten rid of part of the pass rush last year? I know it's a very deep uh, year for pass rushers in the draft, so you may be able to find someone in the second round that in other years is a first round is a first round uh, guy. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe you just ride it out one more year and then you address it in 2020 if he's not what he doesn't live up to his uh, contract. I know you mentioned Darrell Williams. I want to jump back to the offensive tackles for a moment. What do you think about the right tackle free agent class? Because obviously left tackle, I still think, even though the NFL is starting to see that the tackles are more similar than they are different now. How do you see the right tackle class? Is there a lot of options? Are there only a few guys you think that you can plug and play start? What, what's your take on that class? Oh, you typically agency? don't have offensive linemen hit the open market because most teams want to lock them up. Um, Bobby Massey was an example. Yep. He re-signed for $8 million a year, so I think that's kind of the baseline. Um, but the interesting one to me, um, Trent Brown. He can play left and right. Uh, had a better postseason than regular season mm-hmm. in New England. I don't think they franchise him. I think someone breaks the bank for him and may be disappointed. You're right that there really shouldn't be a difference between right and left tackle because edge, the good edge rushers sometimes are on the right side. More often than not now. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it used to be your left tackle, your blindside guy. Um, that's where they exclusively were, and you were paying the guy for that type of protection. I don't think it's caught up from a contractual standpoint that still you pay a premium for the left tackle. Maybe five years from now that will be different. But if you hit not have, if you have a good offensive line that hits the open market, he's typically going to be paid, whether it's interior or outside. And I think you look at centers. Matt Paradis, even though he was injured this year, had missed a game before this yep. year, he's probably going to be a highest-paid center when it's all said and done. Two offensive tackles I want to talk to you specifically about that you didn't mention because they're young. I think they're both coming off their first contracts. They were both high draft picks. 
but maybe their performer is not where you want it to be. Donovan Smith from Tampa Bay. Oh, he's probably going to get franchised. Okay. I think he's out of the equation. Okay, how about Juwan James, <laughs> the other guy? He's an interesting one. Um, yeah, if he's out there, he's going to be a high end. It's going to be north of Bobby Massey if he's available. Solder at range or not that not, crazy? Not that crazy. Okay. Right now, the highest-paid right tackle is Lane Johnson, and that was a deal which was done in anticipation of him becoming a left tackle, and he's not quite there. The highest-paid pure right tackle, Ricky Wagner, at $9.5 million per year. So okay. you're, you're talking 9.5 versus now 16 with Taylor Lewan, so there's still a big discrepancy. Got it. You know, I got, I got to ask you something about these tags, and it kind of refers to what John's talking about with prices for these right tackles. Joel, I don't understand why – Offensive linemen get a franchise or a transition tag, and it's the same for a center, for a guard, and for a tackle, where we all know, we all know that the prices should be different for these positions because of how coaches and GMs value them. But yet, the tag is universal up and down the line. That makes no sense to me. Oh, I totally agree. And that was uh, my article yesterday on CBS Sports, five changes. I'm sorry I didn't see it. I and, apologize. And that that was one of them that you should differentiate between the three main offensive line positions: guard, center, center, and tackle. Guards and centers love it though, don't they? Oh yeah, they don't get franchised. <laughs> they always hit the open market because the last time you had a guard or center franchised was in 2011. It was um, Ryan Khalil and right. Logan Mankins, and that was the year that the franchise tags were rolled back because of the change in the methodology. But you're right; there should be a difference. And another change I'd like to see is. Why are three, four outside linebackers and four, three defensive ends given different tag yeah, they should be when they are essentially the same thing? It should be yeah. edge rushers and interior linemen, and that way you wouldn't have D. Ford mm-hmm. and Frank Clark with different franchise tags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And more and more players, much like I remember when uh, uh, who was it now? The Saints tight end who wanted to. Jimmy oh, Jimmy Graham. Graham. Jimmy Graham. Cried about, I'm more of a wide receiver than a tight end. Well, he, he lost he, that grievance. He <laughs> lost. He lost. But there'll be more and more players who are in that hybrid 3-4 role who are going to start complaining about that. Yeah, because one thing that's expected this year, Jadavion Clowney, if he's classified as a linebacker, will file a grievance to get the defensive end number because it's based on the position you played the most snaps in the prior season. That's, so I don't know yeah. how that would shake out for him. But like why said, is he? He's an edge rusher. Yeah, Clowney is clean not a he's, a he's a pass rusher, Correct. so clean yes. that Just clean, clean that up the up. rule. That's all. Clean he, up the rule. I think it's a perfect transition. Edge rushers, a lot of guys that could be free agents. What guys are actually going to hit the free agent market and which guys are going to get franchised? Frank Clark, franchised. D. Ford, franchised. Javion Clowney, franchised. Demarcus Lawrence, franchised again. Could get a new deal. The Cowboys have already made an offer, so they're talking. The guy who benefits from all this is Trey Flowers. He won't <laughs> you get like fr- him. He won't get franchised, most likely, and he'll be the best young pass rusher available. I'm not a big subscriber that sacks are an indication of how good of a pass rusher you I are. I agree. I think it's really pressure, combined quarterback hits, hurries, and sacks. And the perfect guy, by the way, is Brandon Graham, who doesn't get the big sack number. Right. But like Flowers, he's a really good pass rusher. Right. Yeah. But if you look at the pressure numbers, I think Graham Graham's over 70. Oh, he's fantastic. Consistently. Yeah, great. He gets like five sacks. Mm-hmm. And Flowers was like at 65 this year. I think he tied for like 12th or 13th in the league, and he was in the same neighborhood as other guys who are going to get franchised. So. You put him on the open market knowing that you've got multiple people who have some sort of familiarity with him. His former defensive coordinators are now head coaches. And Detroit needs a pass rusher because Ziggy Ansah can't stay healthy. Right. 
and Brian Flores just went to Miami. So those two teams plus the Titans have John Robinson who comes from New England. If he gets two of those teams in the mix, the agent can leverage those two against each other. That's how you get one of those deals in free agency where people look at the numbers and scratch their heads. You just mentioned Miami, and I saw, I think it might have been the Sun Sentinel, had a story that Robert Quinn may be on his way out with the Dolphins after one season. Now, in the past, he's been a pretty good pass rusher. although He's been a good pass rusher one year, and he, he got paid off he's, And he's been down lately, <laughs> obviously. So, I mean, you know, I, I think he's going to be out there in the open market. I, obviously, you're also not thinking there's going to get much money for, for him. No, because he's on a downward career trajectory, so it may be like uh, Mario Williams a couple of years ago. Right. He signed for like right. one on Came off the bills and it didn't work two, out. 16, 17 over two, and that's that. Yeah. I don't think Clay Matthews demands big money. His best days are behind him. He's free uh, from Green Bay. I'd only bring him back on a incentive-based contract, which doesn't represent what – good pass rushers make anymore because he doesn't get to the quarterback like he used to. How right. about the how about the free safety class? The Giants need a free safety. If they don't want to spend top dollar on a free safety and maybe try to get someone in that, you know, middle, you know, five, six million a year type of area, something like that, uh, who's available that you think could fit that bill? Maybe Trey Boston. He played Carolina one time. Goes back to the familiarity brings comfort uh, thing. Uh, maybe if you're going a little bit of higher end, um, Tyron Matthew. Okay. Uh, he didn't get the money that he thought he would get last year, played on a one-year deal for $7 million. Now, Matthew's interesting to me because he plays closer to the line of scrimmage, but they ask him to cover man-on-man a lot, right? So that, that that's kind of almost like a like a hybrid role a little bit, right? Right. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades yeah. defensive back. Interesting in that last year's safety class or free None agent class, paid. they didn't get a whole lot of what they thought they were going to get. And this year, haha, Clinton Dix is out there too. Amos is out there from the Bears. You know, you've already mentioned a few yourself. Joiner, Joiner from the Rams, although might he, might he get tagged? Not not twice. He won't. Kenny Vaccaro. Kenny okay. Vaccaro's out there too. Yep. I mean, so with with that many but, guys but Eric, out there, Eric Reed's already kind of changed it because he's at seven. So that's a little different dynamic. So that changes yeah, everything. Yeah, I was surprised he got that from Carolina. I was I was surprised because he, he didn't get a job until the season started this right, year. Right, right. Joel, good stuff, my friend. We really appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate Always it. good to see you, man. All right. Always good to have you. Thank you very you. much. Joel Corey, CBS Sports, Sports, former NFL agent, talking salary cap and free agency. We'll be back with more on Big Blue Kickoff Live right after this. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live from the NFL Combine, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light app to win Amazing Giants. Prizes, John Schmelk, Paul Dottino. Our next guy up, Jeff Risden, our good buddy from Real GM. How are you, Jeff? Very good to be with you guys. All right, we've seen some measurements and stuff come down so far today and mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, we started the show with Dane Brugler asking this question, so I'll start with you too. The measurements that jumped out to you, aside from Kyler Murray, because we know <laughs> about that one. Disqualify yeah. him. Yeah, Kyler Murray's uh, going to get debated ad nauseum. Uh, the guy that I'm really interested in, and he's a local guy for me being from, I'm, I'm from the West Michigan area, Tyree Jackson, quarterback from Buffalo. Mm. Oh, he's a big boy. Biggest quarterback in height, hand size, weight, length, whatever you want. He, he was the biggest guy. He's he's a fun prospect. Middle round guy, but a very interesting player. Um, has a lot going on for him. I happened to see him play in high school. I saw him throw a ball 72 yards on the fly with some zip on it in high school. And he's gained, real. he's gained probably 35 pounds since then as well. <laughs> oh, Just he, he, unbelievable arm talent. Now, he, he has to learn that he can't throw the fastball on every single pitch, but uh, 
there's a, there's a lot to work with there. And he had a, he had a very productive year, and he had a couple of receivers that are there with him at Buffalo that uh, that are going to make the NFL as well. So he's he's not without some mobility. I'll give you a, another item that I'm interested in besides his size is uh, and Isabella's forty time. Is it possible he might shatter Ross's four two two? That's going to be tough for him. Uh, he told us at the Senior Bowl he ran a four two six hand-timed. Uh, he's laser-timed. He said the worst time he's had was 4-3-7. That's the worst that time? That's the worst time he's had Ooh. in his in his actual Poor guy. training. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he can fly. If, if you watch his game tape, you can see he's he's running away from, from pretty darn fast guys. So I, 4-2-2 is ambitious, but I'd be surprised if he's not in the 4-2 somewhere. All right, we've done the quarterbacks at nauseum today, so we're going to kind of move away from the quarterbacks for the time being. Maybe at the end we'll kind of circle back to him a little bit. How do you feel about this pass rusher class? Because I see, you know, the Cleveland Farrell, the, you know, Ja'Kai Polites, the Montez Sweats. It's kind of like, okay, who do you like better? And everyone kind of has them in different areas. And some people even have Josh Allen in that group. How do you see that group of pass rushers after Nick Bosa at the top end of this track? You know, I think it's a, a diverse tier, and I think you're getting what you want for your specific team. If you're a 3-4 team, you're probably going to like Montez Sweat a little bit more. If you're Or, or Josh Allen, who I think would, would be ideally suited to play 3-4 outside linebacker. You get some of those other guys. Um, Polite, I think he's straight speed right off the edge in a 4-3. Yep. Burning off that left edge, that, that would be a lot of fun to watch. How oh. about – I just want to get one more. I want to yeah, get go, in go. on – Farrell, what do you think about him? Because I know he's not the most bendy guy, but he's right. really good technically, right? You know, it's very interesting. Uh, he gets he gets mocked to a lot of different teams and a lot of different structures. I think the big knock on him is that he's already who he's going to be. There's not a lot of upside with him, but you're getting yeah. a guy who, who bagged double-digit sacks on a wonderful defense, knows how to work in coordination with other good talent around him. I think that's an underrated aspect of, of a lot of players that come out of Clemson or Alabama or Georgia. You know, They're used to having the pressure of playing in a big game and playing with really good players around them. So I, I think it would be he wouldn't necessarily come in thinking that he's the alpha dog. And uh, th- that can be a problem for some guys. How would I you, think he's right in for that. How would you rank this group compared to Bradley Chubb last year? I think Chubb is a little bit above them. Okay. Um, he, he, was, he was really good, and he proved to be really good. Oh, he did. had a good well. year, sure. Yeah. yeah. Let me stick with the defensive front. Jeffrey Simmons, Mississippi State defensive tackle, uh, has the ACL, yeah. but he's also got the personality profile that doesn't exactly wow a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on how much – he will drop or help himself in his pro day once he gets talking to these pro teams. You know, I think being able to show that he has not been in trouble since he got that one incident at Mississippi State, I think that's going to help him a lot. Um, I've watched the Cleveland Browns sign Kareem Hunt, who was caught on video um, doing something probably very similar to what Simmons was 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 busted for. It's interesting. I, I've, I'm fascinated because it seems like some teams will have a lot of interest and other teams will be like, no, we, we just can't do this. It, it's sort of right. dealer's choice on whether the GM is comfortable taking that. It's a PR hit no matter what you do. Right. But, but it can also be a positive. And, and, you know, John Dorsey with the Browns has, has tried to spin it this way. And this is a chance for us to prove that we can be a redemptive force. We're giving him another chance to prove that he's a good person. And there are a lot of people who believe that. And, and Jeffrey Simmons, he's kept his nose clean ever since that one problem. Uh, it's a good angle to approach if you're going to try to try and take him. He's a very good player. I still think he's a first-round talent, but if you're not going to have him for your first year, that, that's a tough pill to swallow. Well, see, that's what I was going to ask you. Let's say it was clean across the board. He did not have that issue, and he did not have the knee injury. Where would he be, do you think? It was top 10, right? Uh, top top 15 for sure, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, could have been top 10, absolutely. He, he's a yeah. very talented guy. 
and and he's a little bit unique in this class in that he's a bigger guy. Um, the, the other guys, you know, Ed Oliver, Rashawn Gary, they're smaller. Right. He he's a bigger boy on the inside that can really get up get up and disrupt from the inside, which is what so many teams want. Yeah, we had Dane talk about um, Rashawn Gary a lot, but I think Ed Oliver is similar, right? Because you're drafting him based on his traits. You're not drafting right. him based on his production, and. Some think he might come in at 275, or he played at 275, but he's a three technique, but did Aaron Donald break that mold? So how do you think teams are viewing Ed Oliver, who I think is probably going to be one of the more divisive guys in that top 15? And I think it's going to be that mm-hmm. way for teams, too. I think some teams are going to be very attracted by what he can offer. Um, can you move him around a, a formation? You know, he can play inside. Can he move outside if you're going to go to a, a, a heavier package, that type of thing? That's very intriguing. The fact that he missed some of last year, I think, hurts him. He was hurt. Um, that's always going to bring up questions, too. He's a smaller guy playing inside. Is he is he going to be you know, durable enough to handle this? Uh, I love the guy. I think he's got phenomenal traits. But, again, he, he's not – he's a he's an anomaly, and you have to find where that anomaly fits. Is your team comfortable with a guy who might – you know, he might get washed out in the run game. Are you okay with him getting, you know, eight and a half sacks as a rookie but being a liability in the run defense? That, that's kind of up to your coach. I want to stick with the, the injured guys who we really kind of like, but because of injury don't know where they're going to fall. Jawan Taylor, the offensive tackle. Uh, I think so many people think he could potentially have been maybe the one or two best tackles in this draft, but because of the knee injury now, what do you do? Yeah, that's that's a tough one because he was a guy that, that – What a hammy, hammy, right, I'm sorry. Yeah, and you are drafting him based on athletic potential because at Florida he was not – he was not worthy of a first-round pick, quite honestly. His tape isn't there. But you see why he could be. His traits are phenomenal. And he did show growth in, in development towards being that guy who could be a franchise left tackle. Where do you take him if he's, if he's going to miss your summer program? That's, I, I think that holds him out of the top ten, but he's still a first-round pick for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's only a hamstring. I mean, yeah. they, there's any reason he shouldn't be back by, you know, at least the, Let, let's hope you know, not. You would yeah, hope. It's part of the spring. Although they always tell you those rookies, when they miss that first couple of months, it's very painful to catch up. It really is. Um, you see it with a guy like Cal Van Noy, um, who's now with the Patriots. Back when he was with Detroit, he had a, a sports hernia that cost him his rookie, his rookie training camp, and it really put him behind the eight ball, and, and it took him a few years to get over that. Yeah. How about Cody Ford? He's a guy that, you know. Ooh, he's a big boy. He is, but he can move to it right <laughs> yeah. tackle. And I think he's a real interesting guy where if you're – he's not a left tackle. I think we know that, right? right. Yeah. But if you need a right tackle that will help you in the run in the pass game, he seems like a guy that can be a plug-and-play, go right in, and you're not going to miss a beat. Yeah, and the fact that he, he's following Orlando Brown, who was very successful in making the transition from the Oklahoma scheme to the NFL, uh, I think that helps him out a little bit. He's so powerful at what he does. I, I have a little bit of a concern about his footwork, but there's a lot to like with him. And, and like you said, he's plug and play. He's ready to go right away. And right tackle is becoming more and more important. You're seeing the salaries go up for it every year. Yep. Um, he's a good one. I'll tell you, Dalton Reisner from uh, Kansas State is another one, another guy that you can oh, start yeah, right away. Your first, he, He's your mm-hmm. instant starter at right tackle. And you get him in the late first for Giants purposes. If he's there in the second round, my goodness, that's, you jump? that's very appealing. Heck, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great like Will Hernandez was last year. Exactly, yeah. That wound up being a very good one. You know, we were talking this time last year about how Orlando Brown came in and absolutely fell flat on his face, not literally, right. but figuratively, yeah. uh, at the combine. He actually almost fell flat on his yes. face. Nearly, right? yes. Yes. nearly, <laughs> nearly, but didn't quite do it. And and there were folks who were saying, well, my goodness, he can't possibly be a high-round pick. He's going to have to be maybe even as bad as a third-day pick. Oh, my goodness. 
and what happens? He gets into the NFL, and he holds up. He played pretty darn well, didn't he? So what, so what does that say to GMs in terms of be careful what you think about when you leave Indianapolis? You know, I, I think it – there's a lot of media overkill on this, and we're obviously part of it, you know, selling it. And I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think there needs to be some moderation in the reaction for it. We're, we're very much a breakneck society. We want to overreact to everything, and I think we do have to have a little bit of moderation in how we handle those things. He had a lot of really impressive game tape. He has the pedigree. You know, his father, Zeus Brown, rest in peace, was, was a wonderful tackle, and I think uh, – he actually went on a Twitter tirade this week that talked about how I saw that about how he knew how to use his body and how to use his athletic limitations to his advantage, and I think that's something that's underrated. The players who know themselves and know their own game, I think that's a very underrated trait, and that's something that I think you're seeing more and more of the teams asking the players when they're doing their interviews here. You know, okay, we're going to point something out about you. Are you comfortable? You know, doing this? Um, are, do, are you aware that you have this flaw? How do you handle that? I think guys who answered that, and, and Orlando Brown certainly did, uh, I, I think that's a big plus for them. Well, rightly or wrongly, guys' stock will improve or drop this week based on what they do in the on-field drills, which start on Friday. The O-line go then. Then you can say the skill positions on Saturday. That's why it's going to be nationally televised, so everybody can see what's going on with these guys. First time ever it's going to be on ABC this year. Who are some of the guys you want to see that either either have something to prove for you with the athletic testing or you're a little concerned? I don't know. You know, I want to see some of these big wideouts run. Guys like Hakeem Butler, um, DK Metcalf, obviously, who who came in at what 229 pounds, which was actually that what he came in a little at? bit lighter than than expected, wow. but still, I mean, you've 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 all seen the pictures with the shirt off, all solid. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, Give or take a couple pounds, does it matter? Yeah, he's not having mozzarella sticks for dinner. <laughs> now, if he runs, and, and we had Joe Marino on yesterday from the Draft Network, and he told us that if he runs well, he straight-wise could be a top-ten selection. Where does he need to run to put himself into that first skill position off the board uh, category? My goodness, at six foot four, 229 pounds, and proving that he has a clean bill of health. Remember, he missed a lot of last year with a broken neck. Two years. Yes. But we report two. Yeah, so he is cleared to do that. He does have limited experience. The Mississippi offense was sort of pedantic, didn't really ask him to do a lot. So you are projecting a lot, but with those athletic tools, he he could absolutely be a top ten. If if he's, I want to say, 4-4-5 or less, um, I, I think that would really wow people at that size. Anything below 4 or 5, though, and I think he's he's definitely the first wide receiver off the board. Yeah, I'm with you on that. We talked yesterday a little bit, Jeff, about how uh, last year one-third of the players who were invited to the Combine did not get drafted. Yeah. Uh, so this is not the be-all, end-all. At the same time, there were 38 guys who did get drafted who did not get invited. Nope. Is there a guy who was snubbed? who you think you really, really wanted to see or teams really needed to see, and he's going to wind up shocking people when it comes to the draft? You know, I'll, I'll give you a couple. There, there's one, uh, Nebraska running back Divino Zigbo was a guy who, who did, I never thought much of him, and I, I saw him play in person uh, until his senior year, and he just exploded. He lost a little bit of weight. He figured out, got confident in his game. Uh, he's a running back. I think he's a fourth or a fifth round pick. I think he's going to be a solid number two NFL running back. I think he's mm-hmm. he's got a lot to offer. So I, I was disappointed that he wasn't here. Uh, Khalil Hodge, the the linebacker from Buffalo, 
Um, now, he did not have a great shrine game where he could weigh in at 255 pounds, and I think that was one of the reasons why maybe he got a little soured on him because he played in the 240s. Uh, but but he's another guy. He, he's a legit NFL talent, and he did, he is not here, and that's that's unfortunate. How about Penny Hart, too? I thought he was yes. phenomenal at the Senior Bowl. That was my first exposure to him. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the wide receiver from Georgia State. I had not seen him before, and I'm like, wow, I need to go watch this guy. And, he was and, getting open on everybody. And, and the tape validated. He, he did that in college, too. So I, I, that's disappointing. He's a guy. My goodness, he'd look good in a lot of uniforms. Now, this is a guy I didn't look at, but I wrote down a note to myself because Cortez Broughton from Cincinnati, 6'2", 290 defensive tackle, seven sacks, 18 and a half tackles for a loss. My goodness, if that yeah. doesn't intrigue you, what does? And he's another guy. He had a great shrine game week. He was one of the best players down there in St. Pete, consistently disrupted from both the three and the five technique. So you're getting a guy who can play in, in multiple schemes there too. He's a little bit of an odd size. He's got short arms. Um, didn't necessarily play in a scheme that asked him to do a lot, but uh, he's an NFL player, absolutely. The Giants are loaded up with day three picks. They got a lot of fours, a lot of fives, sixes, sevens, loaded up. That's why I'm bringing these guys up. What positions do you think you might have some talent slip down into that day three area where you can find somebody that can help you? You know, I think cornerback is very deep this year. I'm not sure that it's 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 high at the top end. I love Byron Murphy out of Washington. I think he's the clear-cut number one cornerback in this class. Others will not agree with me on that. Uh, but there, there's day three guys that, that are going to be able to play for a long time in this league. At cornerback, interior offensive line, I think it's not as high-end as it was last year. I mean, obviously, Will Hernandez, and he wasn't even the best. No. I mean, he might have even been the second best at, at his position, and he was great. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's another one where you can get some depth guys, guys who are going to make your team as a rookie and, and stick around. At corner. Slot guys or outside guys, or, or, or is it kind of like pick your poison type it, it of guys is, It's here? definitely pick your poison. I do like the slot class a little bit more than I like the outside class. There's a lot of guys with a lot of speed issues, and, and that's one of the things that I'm actually going to be watching this week. Uh, I think they run on Monday uh, is, is how well those bigger cornerbacks run this year because, like, the big wide receivers, if they can run, the corner's got to keep up. Is this a good draft for the Giants to have a, a, a load of picks? They got ten picks. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know they don't have a three. But it starts multiplying as a result of trades in the third day of the draft. A lot of us believe Dave Gettleman's not going to pick 10 guys. He's going to use some draft capital to either try to move up and finagle this year or maybe get some draft capital in 2020. What do you think his best move should be? I like the idea of going for more this year because I think if, if you can trade two or three of your day three picks and turn it into another day two pick, uh, maybe at the end of the second or the beginning of the third round, if you see another guy that you really like, I think that that, that makes a lot of sense to Based me. on the talent pool that's yeah, there absolutely. and the level that should be there. Right. I think there's a bit of a drop-off after about the 75th or so pick in this. Rough estimate there. But if you can get another pick in that range and get a guy who's who you know is your your coaches like him, your scouts like him, your evaluators are comfortable with him, I think I think that's a no-brainer move. You know, people talk about you get through tiers, right? And you get to that big tier where if you know one year maybe all the guys pick between twenty and forty, it's like whatever, you know. Right. Close your eyes, roll the dice, see if you get the best player or not. Where's that big group this year between kind of like where and where you have a lot of guys that are going to have similar grades, but you just got to pick the right one? You know, honestly, I think it's near the top this year. I think it's probably the guys after about four or five, um, and that, that's not including the quarterbacks in there because they're, they're, they're their own entity. Uh, but, but guys from there to like 15 to 20 in that range, I think I think some of those guys are going to be the number five guys for some teams and the number 20 guys for others and, and vice versa. What is your really top tier then of, of top position players that you think are uh, 
leap yeah. above that next group. Yeah, I, I think Bosa is there. Quinn and Williams is there, even though he's got a broken finger and won't work out here, um, which is odd because you know, I played volleyball in college with broken fingers all the time. I, <laughs> not, not, that, not that hard to, uh, to, to work with a broken finger, but I digress. Um, he's there. Uh, I think Byron Murphy is up there for me at cornerback. Wow, you like him that I, much, I, huh? I really do like him. Now, he played zone a lot, too, in college, he right? Did. Mm-hmm. He did. And he can he can also turn and run, flip his hips, uh, do a lot of things. I think Devin White, the linebacker from LSU, he might be a little bit overbaked, but, man, there's a lot to like with him, too. Traits, right, with him? Ab- absolutely. And and I would put Dwayne Haskins up there. I, I like Dwayne Haskins. I think he, he, he is not as NFL-ready as a lot of guys who have come out in the last couple of years, but I think what you have with him is a guy who understands how to run a pro offense. He makes good decisions. He's a pocket passer, but he can also move around a little bit. I think his lack of mobility is getting overplayed. I, I, I think there's a really good NFL quarterback there. And he improved as the year went along, too. He, his yes, last three games were very, very strong. And the fact that he did it in a Big Ten where there were a lot of really good defensive backs and, and good defensive schemes, I think that says a lot for him, too. You know, I know we've been doing a lot of quarterbacks with some of the other folks. And no, we, wanted to, we wanted to keep you away from that. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I am going to ask you this because you were just talking about being NFL ready. Daniel Jones, with the experience he had in college, three and a half years as a starter, mm-hmm. under Cutcliffe, tough, seems to really have a good head on his shoulders. Is it possible he might be the most pro-ready quarterback, even if he doesn't have the highest upside? Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. Yeah, I'm not a big Daniel Jones fan. Uh, I, I saw him play live. Uh, I saw their bowl game uh, two years ago, and I, I just wasn't impressed with the zip on his passes. Now, he's a very cerebral guy. I, I think he's got the profile to be a great NFL backup quarterback for a long time. I don't I don't see him ever being a starter. I know there are a lot of people who are you know, pulling their hair out. Oh, my goodness, he's going to be a top 15 pick, and, and that could very well be. He is NFL ready, and if you need a guy to, to go right now, I, I see him being – like a higher-end Cody Kessler, much much better than Cody Kessler, who mm-hmm. just doesn't impress me at all. But that's uh, that, that's the kind of guy you're getting, a guy who he's not going to hurt your team, but I'm not sure he's going to be the guy that helps you over it. So if, if you need a – the thing is you're not going to take a bridge guy like that for in the first round. At least I would hope not. But teams do weird things all the time. Jeff, we appreciate the time. Hey, I thanks, thanks for so having much. me, guys. Real hey, GM, Jeff, good to see you. Jeff We'll be back with Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network right after this on Big Blue Kickoff Live, live from the Combine in Indianapolis. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live from the Combine in Indianapolis. John Schmunk, Paul Dettino. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Kyle Krabs is our final draft expert guest of the day. We'll have Madeline Burke to close out the show. Kyle from thedraftnetwork.com. Yeah. All right, we'll get to what your site's doing towards the end of the interview because I think you guys are doing some great stuff with the mock drafts and stuff like that. Overall, um, what's your take on this class compared to last year in terms of strength at the top and in terms of depth? Sure, I think... Obviously, the strength of this class lies on the defensive side, particularly defensive linemen, whether those are interior players or boundary pass rushers. And I put my big board together. I put an updated top 200 out on Tuesday. And as I'm sitting here slotting through these players, I hit about 110, and I kind of realized, wow, like I'm having a hard time because I don't feel really good about where the talent level should be versus mm. the slots that I'm ordering in the draft board. So you're thinking more kind of like a three-round draft. Yeah. If you need impact players that you feel like can step into a role early and help your football team, those top three rounds are going to be where you should be aggressively pushing to pursue guys because after that it's a lot of questions, a lot of raw athletes, a lot of guys that maybe don't have a lot of experience. 
which goes back to what I've been trying to preach to our viewers about Dave Gettleman needs to get another pick in that third round. He lost it because he used it on Sam Beal in the supplemental yeah. draft last year. And, and it's funny because we just had Jeff on a second ago, and he said top 75 is kind of like a border. I've been saying Gettleman's got to get another pick in that top 75. Yeah, and that You're pick he lost was 71, I believe. Was that yeah. correct? And what, what, by the way, what do you think about Beal if he had been in this draft? Sure. Uh, I did an assessment on him after he came out through the supplemental draft, and they submitted the pick, and I came away with like a fourth-round assessment on him. So I did feel they were maybe a little more aggressive than they had to be, but I understand why there's appeal there with his size profile and the movement skills that he brings to the table at the cornerback position. You know, that's what everybody's hunting and searching for these days is those long, kind of loose corners. And he checks those boxes. So in a corner class that, you know, we thought we had a guy like that, Michael Jackson from Miami, he's a little shorter, not quite as long as we thought he was. He's a little stiffer than we were hoping he was going to be. So there, there is a little bit of a void there. We, he could have bubbled himself up into this draft class a little bit if he was in this year's class. You have a couple of people who say maybe late second round for him based on the rest of the cornerback class. And I'll, I'll stay there because I know a lot of people don't like this class very much. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the – other than Jeff Risden, who loves Murphy for out of Washington, most people have said 15-20. That's when you see your first cornerback come off the board. What's your take on cornerback, and what could the Giants be looking at either at six or – if you're looking at second rounds or later. Sure. I think when you're evaluating this year's corner class through a draft evaluator's perspective, it's a little challenging because they're scheme-specific guys. Mm. There are guys that I like, like Trayvon Mullen from Clemson. If you're going to play press coverage and let him disrupt inside those mm -hmm. first five yards and then play off receiver's hips, I like him a lot in that role, and I can understand why a team would per pursue him earlier. Uh, Byron Murphy, for me, is one of the top ten football players in this class. He you, is so you like a him too. tremendous football player. Mm -hmm. He's The key to my heart at the corner position is really quick feet, click and close, and you got to be fearless. And he hits. He doesn't care how big you are. He's going to fly in there, stick his face in his fanny. He's going to really challenge you with physicality. So I know the league, Cleveland kind of broke the trend with taking Denzel Ward in the top five last year. They did, year. only 5'11". Right? Uh, that's kind of the sure. pathway there if, if you're hoping – as a Byron Murphy, either fan or Byron Murphy himself, you're hoping that that opens that pathway for you to get drafted early because I think he is head and shoulders above the rest of the Now, class. teams are going to have to kind of project whether he can play man, right? Does mm -hmm. he play primarily zone at Washington? Mm -hmm. Do you think he can make that transition to more of a man scheme? Because yeah. James Betcher wants to play press man and get up in your grill a little yeah, bit Yeah, so he, he really shined when he was in that off coverage a little bit, that click and close ability and that ability to take that bucket step and then drive on stuff in front of your face. He was patient at the line of scrimmage when he had the opportunity to show that. That's not something he did a whole lot of. Okay. But from a functional strength perspective, I think he's got enough. But I think it would make for a little bit of a rougher transition if you tried to play him more predominantly in that type of role early on in his career. Let's stick with the secondary because Adderley out of Delaware did real well when he got to the All-Star game. And I know he's not going to be top six or anything, but is there any chance you see him maybe getting to the top of the second round if the Giants are looking for a safety? Absolutely. I think you turn on his film. He's what I was expecting to get from Deontay Thompson out of Alabama. Right. And coming into the year, we were really high on Deontay Thompson at the Draft Network, and everybody really liked the range that he illustrated. And he, he kind of got stagnant this past year. Where Thompson or With Adderley, you turn on his film, he's covering a ton of ground on the back end. I really, really like him in single. He doesn't have the most explosive first step, but I think he's going to test really well. I think he's going to run about 4-5. How about that one red zone rep where he was covering the right yes. half of the field and then yeah. literally, Paul, <laughs> ran across three quarters of the field, opposite sideline, went up back, and made back that. Back the senior yep. bowl. 
Uh, no, it, it was. It it was, was I think it was third of, of yeah. Well, one of the games during oh, okay. the year, watching the game film, and he literally covered three quarters of the width of the field while the ball was in the air and came up with an interception. Yeah, he had another rep against North Dakota State where he was playing single and Easton Stick, the North Dakota State quarterback, is looking right, and he kind of buzzes across the hashes and then Stick throws 45 yards down the field on the other sideline. And his anticipation allowed him to kind of hinge and carry, and he got over there at the exact same time as the football. So tremendous center field range. So you think there's a shot he drops the top of the second round, or no? Uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a, a spot I would feel safe with okay. the value for him. Got it. I'm going to be a little bit higher on him. I don't know if the league will because of the level of competition. It's got it. Uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be your turn because I, I got another one for him. Uh, let me ask you this. I don't know where you have the quarterbacks, mm -hmm. okay? You have your board in terms of what your value is, but we all know quarterbacks get overdrafted. Yes. Okay. Last year, five quarterbacks in the first round pushed a guy like Will Hernandez down to the Giants in the second round when yeah. a lot of folks thought he'd be a late first-round pick. Yeah. There are some who think four quarterbacks could go in the first round this year. I don't believe it, but people are saying I don't think so either, but when people overdraft, you never know. Right. How likely do you think that is that some of these stud defensive players in the front seven or maybe some of these offensive tackles mm -hmm. get pushed out of that first round because four quarterbacks go? I don't see four quarterbacks either. Um, How many do you see? Three. Lock? Lock. I really like Lock to Denver still, even though they traded for Joe Flacco. Okay. Uh, Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. I'm not buying in on Daniel Jones at all. Um, I think a team will get aggressive for Kyler because of his playmaking ability, and then he kind of breaks the mold a little bit. Someone will fall in love with the upside, yep, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Dwayne's kind of a wild card. But you look at, I think, what makes that so difficult to see four quarterbacks go in the first round this year is you look at the top ten, and it's pretty stagnant as far as those teams aren't the teams that need it. So now you're asking teams to invest extra draft capital in addition to a top 10 selection potentially to trade up and go get a player and kind of kickstart that run. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how eager teams are going to be in a down year with a promising year next year and five quarterbacks coming out last year. We've seen 11 quarterbacks go in the first round of the last three seasons, I believe. And only one of them was not traded up for, and it was Baker Mayfield last year with the number one pick. Well, and last year the Jets lit the spark when they moved up for Darnold. Yes, yeah. So I, I just don't know what – what a team's going to be willing to give in this year's climate at the quarterback position that's going to cause the frenzy for teams to start to panic and start the run. Devin White, I feel like opinions on him are all over the map. Sure. They love the traits, but I've seen him miss some tackles and kind of run around like a chicken with his head, with his head cut off sometimes too. What's your guys' take on White and where value would land him in this potential draft? Well, we are all over the board as well. I'm <laughs> one of those guys who's really high on, on White. I like White a lot. I think he's going to be one of my top 15 overall when it's all said and top done 10? and the dust settles. That's pretty Water rich. Line. That's okay. pretty rich. Yeah, because even though he, I thought he did a really nice job progressing forward as far as some of the, the reads he was making and the confidence in those reads, the contact balance was still an issue where he's overrunning some plays. And, mm -hmm. But when he's right, when he's got all the technique stuff right, he's a phenomenal football player. So I think top 20, I feel comfortable projecting him. I, top 15 is pushing it. Unless it's Cincinnati 11. What about uh, what we saw in the championship game when Farrell went up against Williams mm -hmm. and dominated him, in my opinion? Yes. There are those who still think Williams is the best offensive tackle in this draft. Some think he might even be a top five pick. Mm -hmm. And yet that game 
that would make me a little scared. Sure. But then again, I like Farrell that high. Yeah. So maybe that's a good thing for him. So how do, you, how do you view that? We're cut from the same cloth in that regard. Cleveland Farrell, I'm super high on. Uh, Jonah Williams, I like, but I don't love. I've, I've watched other guys like Jawan Taylor from Florida, who really stands out. Cody Ford from Oklahoma. Those guys, I think, especially when you consider what the league covets and what the league wants, there's a very realistic chance those guys leapfrog Jonah Williams, and Jonah Williams is not the first offensive tackle mm. like he was d- widely considered hmm. throughout the course of the entire college football season. And that game against Clemson is kind of a nice synopsis of that where you've got a longer-armed, heavy-handed guy, and if Jonah Williams is not perfect, then he's going to pay for it. Where you have guys like Jawan Taylor, for me, is phenomenal football player. He's going to be one of my top ten overall players. Mm-hmm. And he took tremendous strides this past year for Florida. Always had the physical tools, but now uh, he, he's so much cleaner with his pass sets. He's a weapon in the screen game and the running game and getting on the second level and cutting off backside linebackers and making blocks. You have no business making as a right tackle. He, they're running bubble screens outside the numbers, and he's lined up in tight and runs out and picks off the safety trying to fill from off coverage. Like who, Offensive tackles don't do that. So if I, you're asking me about the offensive tackle climate, Jawan Taylor, I think, is where that conversation starts. All right, starts. now back to the other side of the coin, and, and you now have already told me you're a feral guy like I yes. am. I, I love the kid, and I get the fact that he doesn't bend as well as John might want him to be. Oh, I yes. get that. No, but trust me, he can play. He's a good player. thing is, he fights, got a good motor, and he's very productive yeah. at a very high level. And when Dave Gettleman says to us, when you're drafting a guy in the first round, especially high, he's got to have instincts. I think this kid's got instincts. Definitely, and he's been a big-time producer for ever since his true freshman season in Clemson. You know, he, he's flashed big time, and he really seemed to put the exclamation point on that national championship game as far as mm-hmm. his draft status and what his projection can be. And that's something that I th- feel like a lot of draft analysts, myself included, get wrapped up in sometimes. We, we think about what we expect and want a player to look like, but you have to understand that different teams have different ideologies for what a defensive end can look like and how you can put him in a successful role. I think a great example is Detroit with Deshaun Hand from Alabama last year, who mm-hmm. was a middle-round pick. And we were like, well, this guy didn't really have a lot of production. You know, he's, he's kind of boxy. He's not you know, really dynamic off the edge. But Detroit plays him in a power role, and they like their guys with heavy hands. And they put him in a position where he didn't generate a ton of sack numbers, but he played lights out. So Farrell's not quite to that extreme. He's heavy-handed, long-armed, pretty refined with his pass rush. I think all those things play to his advantage as you're trying to project him to the next level. Do so you think he'd be a good value at six? Is that where you're going to I'd be comfortable with that. Yeah. What are the pass rushers or offensive tackles, aside from Taylor, would you be comfortable at that six spot with? Uh, this is probably a little bit of a hot take, but Brian Burns from Florida State I think might be the pass, mm. best pass rusher in the class regardless. Now he's a smaller guy though, right? Yes. I think we'll be surprised what he weighs in based on some folks that I've talked to. 250? I'll be, I think we might be surprised <laughs> with what he weighs in at. What wow. They are aiming to change the narrative around oh, wow. his, his weigh-ins and his playing weight and those sorts of things. But he's, he's going to test very, very well. And I have not seen a pass rush prospect with this amount of bend. We want to talk about bend. Yeah. This guy, he's drifting off the edge. He gets so. super low, shoulder down low, and very, very refined pass rush. He's a very exciting player. So he, he's been eating 24-7 at St. Elmo's. They, they've been loaning <laughs> him up. 
Now, the question, is that going to affect his athletic testing now? Because you don't want him to come in too heavy, because I imagine you guys expect him to test off the charts here with his band, right? Yeah. I mean, you you think about the Florida State kid who came in last year and was about 250 uh, sweat and ran 4.55 or whatever it was. Yeah, Josh Sweat, right? Mm -hmm. uh, That would be kind of my expectation for what we're hoping to see this week from Brian Burns. Sticking with the pass rusher, Ferguson. Yeah. Boy, there's a lot of scopes of opinion on him as well. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand? He was disappointing for me at the Senior Bowl. I didn't think he did yeah. much at all uh, there. He, when I walk away from the week and I don't have a single note for you on paper, that's a problem. Same thing happened to me. And he he's super productive, right? I mean, I think he's over 60 career sacks or whatever yeah. it is. But he just he, he I thought he took advantage of the level of competition that he played. And it wasn't necessarily because of technique or fundamentals. I it agree. was just running through soft challenges and or unblocked plays, uncontested rushes, those sorts of things. When I watch Ferguson on tape, that's where I got a depression. A lot of his production stemmed from those types of plays, and that won't translate to the next Well, same thing right. happened. I was watching O'Shane Zimenez in preparation for the Senior Bowl. I saw him playing against this poor kid at the Citadel, and it's yeah. like he was <laughs> – he, it was basically, yeah. He was basically running oh, right. It's a sixth grader against kindergarten. He was basically passing rushing against the tripod for a camera. And the, oh. the, the kid had absolutely no shot. Yeah. Where do you think in the second round you might find good value at that sixth pick, or I think the Giants are seventh actually in the second round? Where are you going to get the best player? Can you find an offensive tackle? Can you find a pass rusher? Is it a corner? Is it a linebacker? Where do you like that value there early second round? Yeah, I think if you're comfortable with a certain kind of player at a position, like Dalton Reisner from Kansas State, offensive mm-hmm. tackle. If you're comfortable playing him at offensive tackle. Right. But some people think he's a guard. Right. A lot of people want to kick him inside to guard. That's where I feel like he's got a realistic chance to be there. And if he is, that makes a ton of sense to me. I think he's a plug-and-play type guy. And speaking of the Senior Bowl, he came into the Senior Bowl and measured with 34-inch arms. We were expecting 32 and a half, 33. Mm. So th- there's a big debate always on the merits of arm length, but it does matter to a certain degree, especially with a guy like Reisner, because he doesn't have the quickest feet. So he needs to have that extension to be able to to widen those angles and really put pressure on pass rushers to turn at tight angles. And he does that pretty well. Final one for me, and then I'll let Paul get his last one really quickly. Last year, we saw so many good interior offensive linemen that Hernandez got pushed down, like Mm -hmm. Paul said, right? Isaiah Wynn, uh, Daniels from Iowa, all those kids went high. I think we see something similar with the offensive tackle class this year, right? You got Jonah Williams, you got Juwan Taylor, you got Cody Ford, you got Greg Little, you got Dillard, you got Reisner. I think that's probably the top six offensive tackles, mm, or did I miss, miss somebody? Who did I miss? Yanni just from West Virginia. Okay, well, okay, yeah. so I'll put him in that group then. Yep, you got right. seven guys. If I made you put money on the table right now, are one of those seven available when the Giants pick in the second round? Then tell me a little about Kajust because we haven't talked much about it. Yes. I okay. I say money down, yes. Uh, because the defensive talent really is going to push a lot of this down. There's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think your big hurdle is what do the Houston Texans decide to do at the end of the first round? Uh, they p- believe they're picking 24th. They're going to pick an offensive tackle. It's just who, and is it somebody <laughs> that categorizes as a guard potentially or right. not? Uh, just is not the most flexible in his hips, but he's fairly athletic. He blocks well in space. He's very long-armed. He might have the most powerful punch in the class. Him and Cody Ford are those two guys for me that just pack a ton of power in their hands. And uh, he, he is very scrappy. I really like that about him. I think his sweet Blue spot. Blue-collar guy? Yes. His sweet spot's between 35 and 50 for me. Sounds like your type mm. of guy, Polly Dots. Yeah. I got to look at him. Yeah. You'll look like at him. I, I know of him. I haven't looked at him yet, though. Uh, that'd be cool. All right. My final one was actually pretty simple. Um, who do you, besides Kyler Murray, who everyone was intrigued with, who were you most curious to be seeing when you got here this week? 
besides Kyler Murray because everybody says he's the most intriguing guy in this in this Indianapolis. Sure, I mean line. it's the the whole narrative really stems from Kyler Murray and, and the the intrigue of this year's class is the quarterbacks and we we want to box it in that way, but it's too easy to say yeah, the quarterbacks. Yeah, I'm looking at a guy like DK Metcalf at Ole okay. Miss who checked in today me. at six four two twenty eight and. Don't be surprised if that 40 time is a 4-3 something. If he runs a 4-3. You're kidding me. No, I'm not. Do not be surprised. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Kyle, great stuff, my yeah. friend. Good to see you. We'll talk to you again as we move Thank forward you. along yeah. the draft process. Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network. Well, by the way, go check out the draftnetwork.com. they got a great tool to create your own big board. Yes. Use that big board, that predictive big board, and you can create your own mock drafts and then figure out who the Giants are going to pick over the course of their selections, right? Yes. That's correct. Make yourself uh, get some time, though, to do it because you're going you're gonna to yeah, be mesmerized. Clear out an evening. You're going to be mesmerized, trust me. And it'll, it'll be a lot of fun to check that out over the course of the draft season. And we'll have John Ledyard from the Draft Network on tomorrow as well. Thank you, Kyle. We'll be back with Madeline Burke to wrap things up from Indianapolis right after this. We're back here at Big Blue Kickoff Live, back at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino, we're joined by Madeline Burke, the third member of our team out here doing yeoman's work, getting things ready here at the NFL Combine. Madeline, how are you? Great, great. Another great day in Indianapolis. We've got a lot going on. They're setting up the bench press over here. It's going to get going in a few minutes. The offensive linemen are going to get their reps in, and uh, Giant strength coach Aaron Wellman is actually part of that process as well. So we're going to talk to him later about what he gets to see and the access he gets, and that insider will be up on Giants. Yeah, he, he did that last year he as did. well. Yeah, he's done a couple years. He's very good at yelling numbers, which yeah. is kind of like the big part of that, right? you got to project. You know, people want to know, and that he handles it you well. You need earplugs <laughs> if you're going to be anywhere, and, and trust me. We I, are. We're not far, by the you're way. You're not far. We're you about usually like need 40 them for me. feet. But uh, you need him for Wellman too for, for that for that deal. Yeah, it's interesting too. He was telling me I saw him at the in the hotel lobby the other day, and he was telling me about how, you know, it gives him a good perspective talking to these guys and seeing how these players interact, like kind of behind the scenes as this all is going on. So. It's an interesting insight for the Giants organization. No, for sure. And by the way, you hear that in the background. They're getting the bench press ready to go. So they there are, you go. They are. And that, by the way, there's Mr. Little, Greg Little, the guy you were just talking about. And he's not little. No, <laughs> he's, he's a big no. dude. He is not a small man. No, that's what you dude. call a redundancy, right? There yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Madeline, I know you've, uh, if not had a chance to talk to all the scouts and some of the Giants folks who have been around, you certainly have had a chance to talk to some of them. Absolutely. They're not telling you what the picks are going to be. No. But, but are they giving you uh, a flavor about what is exciting them or what is maybe a little different about this combine than some of the others they've been to? You know, we're actually we're going to be talking to some of the scouts later today as well. We'll talk to Chris Pettit and, and get a little bit more of an insight into what goes into this process. But this is a huge day for the scouts in general and it's you know time for all of them to come together because as you guys know during the year they're all over the country they're traveling they're scattered so this is a time where the brain trust of the Giants front office gets together gets in a room you know dinners and 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 watching these events and in the suite up you know watching all these players do their drills and it's just a time to like kind of form a collective agreement on where they stand in each of these talented kids. Yeah. Now, you had a chance, too. You were talking to John Clayton earlier. You had a Absolutely. chance to talk to Jenny Ventress. What kind of insight are you getting from them from what they've been able to feel out talking to the people here and listening to all the coaches and GMs and, and some of the players? Yeah, well, Jenny Ventress is great. She's such a talented writer for Sports oh, she's Illustrated. Terrific. Um, and, you know, obviously Kyler Murray was the conversation. As we saw earlier today, he measured in at 5'10". So, personally, I'm a little excited that I'm the exact same height. I could also be an elite quarterback, apparently. So, um, no, but uh, – 
And, uh, you know, Jenny was talking about that and, you know, the kind of access and, and what her experience is like because we see it from, you know, so many different perspectives. And then John Clayton, this is his 30th NFL Combine. 30 years coming to this, and he has watched this evolve over the years. The first year he was here, 1990, there were seven credentialed media members. This year there's 1,400. And, you know, the story that he tells about Man. the early days of the NFL Combine is a good one. You're going to want to check out that insider Does on that Giant, go up today? Giants.com. I believe so. It'll go up Either today or today. tomorrow morning. One of the Either, other, yeah. yeah, today or tomorrow morning. But John Clayton's got some stories from the old days of the NFL Combine. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have Tony Pauline on tomorrow, and he was one of the first guys here, yes. too, how there's basically like 10 guys walking around. You could talk to anybody you want any, and go anywhere you want. such a free-for-all. But crazy. then they started realizing that, hey, there's media here. So then they tried to kind of discourage that by putting the media in this freezing cold room with no heat, <laughs> no chairs. They're in there in their down jackets just waiting for the hope to potentially talk to somebody, and there's like a dozen people doing it. Uh, but, yeah, these stories, these stories are good ones. Uh, from what you've seen around uh, the uh, the media center, because um, I know we've all had a chance to walk through here, who's drawn the biggest crowd so far? Um, you know, it, it's tough to say because we're really just getting going. You know, the quarterbacks are talking today. Yesterday we saw. And they will draw. Uh, they will draw. <laughs> they will, as they always do. And yeah. yesterday, you know, we saw the coaches and GMs speaking. And as you know, like the teams with the bigger storylines had a big draw. Of course, the Steelers with, you know, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon yeah. Bell in those situations. Gruden they did had too. Quite the draw. Gruden as well because, you know, that dynamic with uh, the Raiders. And they've got yep. a lot going on there too. So I think it's usually the teams with the biggest storylines around them on a national level are drawing some, some serious crowds because at this time of year people are like, what is going on with the NFL? Well, we look forward to seeing your work on Giants.com and, of course, all the Giants social media channels as well. Yeah, we'll be doing Snapchat, Giants.com, all that kind of stuff all week. And... I'll be hopping on to join you guys every once in a while as well. Absolutely. And we'll have Madeline again tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live on our final live two-hour show from 12 to 2 live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Thank you to all our guests. We have a jam-packed show coming your way tomorrow as well. Make sure you tune in live on Giants.com at noon. For Madeline Burke, Paul Dottino, I am John Schmelk. We'll see you then. Have a good one, everybody.